0: Live. Live from welcome to This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast.
1: For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle.
0: me. Follow me for freedom. Here's your host, Mike Mike Phillips.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the episode of the Just Said the Suffering Podcast. Here's New York Sports Talk, and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We're going to have the Sky Guys around us for the whole time, do some sports with Nick Frietta, P. Considori, and do the Sky Guys Season 4 recap of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Start things off today. We joined in just a minute by Nick Frietta. We'll break down the NFL schedule release. It came out on Wednesday May 12th, we're recording on Wednesday, May 12th. This will be in your ears on Thursday at 13. Take away some, some big takers on the schedule, what it means to the Jets, what it means to the Giants, all that good stuff with Nick in just a minute. Also take a deep dive in the world of hockey with Pete Considori. Again, big news last week in the Ranger world. More Ranger news this week, along with some playoff matchups getting set. We'll have a fun hockey chat with Pete in just a bit. Make sure he's locked into the end of the show for our Sky Guys coverage of Season 4 of Clone Wars. Plus some bonus material, we covered the premiere of Bad Batch, the new Star Wars show on Disney Plus again. We recorded that one last week on May 5th, it's up on the YouTube channel already, so you want to go check that out ahead of time, you're free to, but we only covered episode one because of the record date, but we did plan on keeping on with the Bad Batch going forward, I do these Sky Guys check-ins, that's still coming up on the podcast, but we'll get started with our opening tip, we're going to be joined by Nick Friday to break down the NFL schedule release right after this.
2: Two,
1: one. Y'all ready for
0: this? The opening check. And here we
2: go.
1: All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. NFL schedule is officially out, which means we are one step closer to the return of football. Joining me today to break down the schedule, as he did last year, when it was a much bigger deal. We had nothing going on in sports because of COVID. Nick Frietta is here. Nick, how are you?
2: Doing great. Really excited to be on about this. Uh, This is, to me, like kind of like how baseball was this year. You know, how we get some fans back. Like, this is a big deal this year because we're going to get some fans back in the stadium last year. Like, whether you were home or away, it didn't really matter. I think last year had the most, like, even distribution between home and away wins like ever, so I'm excited to get home field advantage back.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a big deal because, I mean, just today, Governor Murphy was saying in New Jersey and recording on Wednesday the 12th, the day of schedule release, that assuming all goes well, he should be able to have a 100% capacity at MetLife Stadium for Jet and Giant games as well, which will be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I mean, even if you get 75%, that's still good enough, Yeah, and 100 is just great, so looking forward to it.
1: I am indeed, and before we dive into the specifics of the schedule, and I'm going to give some visual aids in the video version of the podcast, you can see the gra- like the graphics of e- each schedule we're describing here, I want to take a shot at the league here, because for weeks now, we're hearing Wednesday the 12th at 8, we have the schedule release show, you're going to tune in to see all the games, and then throughout the day, starts out in the morning, week one, the entire week one slate is out about 8 o'clock in the morning, because ESPN, CBS, Fox, all the partners had their games up. Then we had the week of the London games. Then we had Thanksgiving. Then we had Christmas. Then we had the entire schedule. So the Jets, the Patriots and the Saints and more starts leaking out as it got on. By the time the show actually aired about eight percent of the schedule, I would say it was public. And to me, what's the point of doing the three hour schedule show if you're going to leak the entire thing before it starts?
2: Yeah, I'm 100% with you. It's the dumbest thing. Also, like, you have to realize, I mean, it's very obvious. I'm sure you realize this, but sometimes people don't realize this. If you know who the – let's say, uh, for example, I think it's week four, the yeah. Giants play the Saints, right? Yeah. If you know that, you know the Saints play the Giants week four, that means the Giants play the Saints week four. So you can figure out other teams' schedules. By the time it was released, I think you could have figured out every game.
1: Pretty much. I mean, I, well, I got chats with the guys that were at 506 Sports who – Basically, our masters are tracking the NFL schedule. They, they have all the Twitter sources. They track everything. They have a master sheet going. And I was looking at about seven thirty because I was like working on some articles I do for I like copying down the night schedules. But at that point, they had every Thursday night game down, all but two of the Monday night games down, and I think the vast majority of Sunday night football was on there, along with Thanksgiving, Christmas, so on and so forth. Like, why did I need to watch the three-hour show? Because I knew everything.
2: Yeah, it's it's really at three. I didn't even know it was a three-hour show. That's crazy. NFL but Network they, is three hours. I think ESPN it, is one. I think a better way to do it. I mentioned this to you off the air is take this show. I didn't know it was three hours. Make it one hour. Go from eight to nine. Make it like Selection Sunday. Yeah. Do a thing where you do like by you know instead of doing it by team because that would be pointless. Like I like I mentioned, if you do it by team, then you're figuring out other teams as well. By the time you get to the last team, it's already done. Do it by week. Do yeah. like four weeks. Take a commercial break. Do four weeks. Take a commercial break, like they do in Selection Sunday. Like they do each each corner of the bracket. And it would be great. I would I would tune in for that if nothing was leaked. Of course, I I understand if you want to leak like one game. You want to say like the opener was leaked. It's going to be Dallas first Tampa. That's fine. But then like give me a reason to tune in.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you want to give me week one in the morning? That's fine. Say, okay, here's week one. Here's a teaser. The rest is going to be on later, but. I mean, Brian Costello's breaking games like master Tess on Twitter is broke Thanksgiving and Christmas. You had like yeah, and you have, can't
2: blame the reporters. No, they're doing the they job. Want, they want to be. They want to be the first one to get the story out.
1: Yeah, it's like at some point can they, yeah somebody in the in the building say like guys shut your mouths until the show
2: is on like don't yeah ruin and it. We know that's not hard because we've been on this podcast numerous times talking about Star Wars and Marvel and DC and all these big movies and TV show parts, and they keep everything a secret. They kept. Julia Louis Dreyfus a secret from Marvel for how long since they filmed it or God knows or since they you know brought her on how long do they keep it to be a secret that anything that Harrison Ford was in The Rise of Skywalker I know we'll talk about that in a <laughs> future time we'll talk about that movie but you know he was in it and they kept it a secret and I don't see why they couldn't keep an NFL schedule a secret
1: I don't see why they can't either they just, I I don't think they want to keep it a secret I think they're just like are so eager to tell people like oh I gotta let somebody know what's going on here I gotta give I gotta
2: leak this. And that's, that's yeah, why it I, happens. I really wish they didn't. I would I would be watching it right now if they didn't.
1: Yeah, I would watch the show. I mean, they, like, can you imagine you brought up Selection Sunday? Imagine if we were on Selection Sunday, you're watching the Big Ten championship game, and somewhere on Twitter breaks, like, oh, by the way, Michigan State's going to be a five seed, and they're going to host, and they're going to take on number 12-seeded uh, Drake, and that's and they're, oh, Michigan State is playing their basketball game. Like, how annoyed would you be? Yeah,
2: again, for nothing, too. Yeah. Like, and I'm sure that gets down to the to the sideline too, yeah. to the bench. And they're going to be like, "Hey, this game means nothing, by the way, take out their star player, whoever it may be at the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really dumb, but let's get into the specifics of the schedule here. I'm going to include visual aids throughout the video portion of this podcast. You can see on YouTube. So let's go to the jet schedule first. And I'm again, I'm pulling these graphics from the teams, like Twitter accounts. Jet schedule is up here. Open on the road. Sam Darnold game against Carolina. They host the Patriots home opener, other highlights on the schedule. They go to London. They take on the Falcons in October tenth. Their buy is week six. Thursday night, football against the Colts in Indy on November fourth. They close on the road against Buffalo January 9th. When you look at that Jets schedule, what are some of the things that you noticed?
2: I mean, I have to ask you, you've been following the Jets this all season. You know, I'm yep. a Giants fan. Are they much better than they were last year? Obviously they're better. Are they much better? I would it, looks say, like the, it looks like none of these games are winnable.
1: I think they are much better than they were because I think that team last year could have won zero games. I think this team can win six or seven.
2: All right. So you think they can take on, I would assume, Carolina, Atlanta, Cincy, Jacksonville. You know, here's the thing with Maybe this, Denver, Houston. Yeah, Here's the thing with the Jets the way I see it because you look at the first
1: seven games of their schedule here, like up through the Bengal game on Halloween. I they have I guess I granted four on the road but one's in London six to seven games against teams to not make the playoffs. you' the one team in the playoffs is Tennessee that they play yeah. the first like seven weeks of the se- seven games of the season. So there's a chance you know maybe they're four and three keep things a little interesting before they get to the second half of that schedule. I think they yeah, could it's make it the-
2: possible. Yeah, I mean Cincinnati, I think is better than the Jets, but that doesn't mean the Jets can't beat Cincinnati, especially at home.
1: Yeah. Same same thing with New England. I don't, there's no reason they can't split with New England. I don't think New England's things made them that much better.
2: Yeah, I and mean, when you're a young team and you start four and three, all of a sudden, a lot of confidence. I know this year is a little different with the extra game, but usually, four and three, it's hey, if we win five games out of our last nine, we're in the playoffs. We could be in the, we, we be in the playoffs. Yeah.
1: yeah, especially in a 17 postseason.
2: Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. So now, now I would assume you need to go nine and eight to make it. I'd say more, probably maybe, more like 10 and ten, ten seven. Maybe. More like, yeah, it's a little, it's gonna be weird. It's gonna be weird, but I enjoy mm. the the extra game. Why not? Just another week of
1: football. Yeah, I, I, it's everybody's complaining about like, oh, integrity of the schedule. We're gonna ruin the guys. Then, in about like five years, everybody's saying, why don't we have 18 games? Why are we only playing 17?
2: I want to just know what a lot of fantasy leagues are gonna do. Are we gonna just move the playoffs back? I think it's just,
1: can, I think it's just playoffs going back. It's as simple as that.
2: Yeah. So then, week seven or week 18 become 17 and yeah. so on and so forth, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yep. I also want to throw out one complaint out here for the NFL. Why do the Jets finish on the road every single year? I mean, they have not been, had a home finale since 2010. They are is on the that, road. Is that, is that so? That is so. The last time they hosted their last game was against the Bills, and that one, and the year they went 11 and 5, went to the AC Championship game, lost to Pittsburgh. They have not hosted a season finale since then. I
2: think the Giants have hosted every year since. So correct me if I'm wrong, I think I'm right here. It's a a coincidence that the last time the Jets finished at home was the last time they made the playoffs, right? Yeah. So I think it's safe to assume they're not making the playoffs this year. Well, I mean, we could assume that even without that fact. Yeah, it seems like if they get a home Week 18 game next year, they can pencil them in.
1: Yeah, I just feel like it's so annoying because they're all the Jets and Giants, Eagles. You get know, the Giants are home to end the season. I feel like every single year. The Jets are on the road every single year to end the season. It's, that's a road division game, which is never easy.
2: Yeah, I know. when did they start the division rule? Around that time, probably.
1: It was, it was 2010 because it was right at the year before. Remember, on the Sunday night game was week 17. Was the Jets and the Bengals and the Bengals had nothing to play for, so they laid down. The Jets got in the playoffs, so they said okay, we're not. They g- the.
2: they played the Bengals again in the playoffs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So they said, you know, we're not going to have we are going to make it all division games so that their teams can't just lay down the week 17 if they don't need anything.
2: Um, tell that to Philly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the East situation, let's go to your team. Let's go to the Giants' schedule here. And I think obviously they have some interesting stuff here. We talked about it off the air here. I think. They have a chance to go to a fast start. Look at the first four games. They have the Broncos at home. They go to Washington the short week on Thursday night. Then they ho- they host Atlanta, go to New Orleans, New Orleans without Drew Brees now. I mean, this is a team that, you know, could go could you, I guess see going three and one to start the year.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go a step further. If if the Saints do take a huge step back with that breeze, we don't really know what they're gonna be yet. So on one hand I want to say they're going to be bad. They lost Drew Brees but on the other hand it's well, how good was Drew Brees his last couple of year last year really. So are they going to, but anyway, let's say they take a huge step back. I can see them starting 6 and 1. Yeah. I'm not expecting them to, but I can see them beating all those teams except the Rams I think are the are really 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 good. I think the Rams are the team to beat the NFC besides Tampa. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if I would. I I'm not expecting it again, but I would not be surprised if they started six and one. I also wouldn't be surprised if they started two and five.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of vari- variation with the Giants here. And I do think, another thing note say no here. Neither Giant Cowboy game in in time this year, which is like a shocking thing, considering the NFL loves to do that.
2: Yeah, that is surprising. They're also not opening against Dallas, which they seem to do a lot. Yeah, the NFL. They seem to g- open in Dallas on, a lot.
1: The NFL gets lazy with some things, and the Giants-Cowboys being week one was one of their lazy things. They love to do that especially in Dallas.
2: Well, this year, we're going with uh, Denver at home, and uh, that potentially could be very scary if a certain trade happens. <laughs> but without that trade, I think that's a very winnable game.
1: I think it's a very interesting interesting game, especially if Mr. Rogers is, is traded to Denver. I do think that makes it a lot harder for the Giants to win that game. But the thing I noticed with the Giants here is they got some tough Monday night games. They have to go to Arrowhead on Monday night. They have to go to Tampa on Monday night. That was brutal.
2: Yeah, those are just two that you can pencil in I guess as a loss but you yep. also got to remember I can't remember if it was a night game or not but the, I think it was the yep. Giants played Tampa last year at night Yeah, and they were down by like one the entire game yeah that was at home though ah I thought it was in Tampa all right well that makes sense so they wouldn't be in Tampa now yeah and you Probably. look you look
1: down the stretch of the Giants also for their last seven games in division so that's gonna be very important down the stretch for them
2: yeah, um, I'm a little upset we didn't get Philly earlier. I know a lot of Giant fans, be included, we wanted Philly as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm
1: sure a lot of Giant, I know, I saw a lot of buzz on Twitter right before this schedule I was like, hey, we want Philly week one, why don't we want to get a shot at them for causing us the playoffs?
2: Yeah, causing us the playoffs, taking our guy on the draft. The Giant-Eagle rivalry died down a little bit because when the Eagles were good, we were bad. And we were both bad. When we were good, the Eagles, you know, vice for, you know, we haven't both been good in a while, and I don't. I don't know if we're both good now. We'll have to see. The Giants really could see them winning five games. I can see them winning eleven games. I just they really don't know what. To, I don't really know what to expect from them. But this is uh looks like the rivalry's back. It is the, the Eagles brought it, and we're ready. It is back. I also want to look at one other team,
1: as you mentioned with Aaron Rodgers here, the Green Bay Packers. Very interesting situation by the league because you know that Aaron Rodgers wins the MVP last year. They're saying, oh, we're going to put the Packers in prime time a bunch. They have a bunch of marquee opponents. This could going to be great. And right before the draft, Rodgers says, I want out. Get me, get me out of Green Bay. So the NFL is in a tough spot with them because what do you do with some of these marquee games? You want to put them on there and risk in prime time. Risk Jordan Love being the quarterback. So I think the way they handle this is interesting. They have... Some of their bigger games, like if the, they're getting the Chiefs, they're getting against the Rams. Those are like 425 Fox games where they're going to be like in a spot where they can be the main game if Rodgers is there, but if they're not, they can be replaced pretty easily. They're prime t- And they're actually like primetime games. They have Monday Night Against the Lions, which is whatever. It's Sunday Night Week 3, 49ers, a little curiosity factor there, the Niners. And two in the back half of the schedule, they'd be flexed out. If Rodgers is not there in the team stakes. So I think a very solid approach to how the NFL handled the Packers.
2: Yeah, they set it up. They set, they saved them, or they set themselves up to save themselves a little bit if something happens here. They also have middle of the year Arizona on a Thursday nighter. Yeah.
1: Um, Thursday is also tricky because you have everybody has to do it at least once. The schedule yeah, set up. and usually
2: I, I don't know what it is about Thursday. I, I'm not interested really. Yeah. Usually, I feel like every week I look and Jacksonville versus Houston every time. Yeah. And some somehow Jacksonville plays in every Thursday game. <laughs> mind. But um, yeah, I think it's obviously a good idea. You have that Chicago game and that Viking game in there that easily be flexed out. Which they have to do if Rogers isn't there. I mean, I don't know about you. I think if Rogers leaves that team, that's a three-win team. Yeah. Joe a friend
1: of the podcast, host of the Shark Trigger podcast, a big packer guy, said the same thing. He said, if Aaron Rodgers is not there. This team is going to be last place in the NFC North.
2: So I, I agree, but at the same time, Detroit's one of the worst teams I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, but Detroit will also be starting Jared Goff at quarterback, while Green Bay be starting Jordan Love. Yeah. Like Jared Goff could get yeah. him, could find his way into five wins, and you know as hard as he, Jordan loved getting th- like more than three after a redshirt year.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm just uh, really hoping he, for his sake, I hope he gets traded. You know, for Packer fans, I know they don't want that, obviously, but for his sake, like what the Packers have done to him, you know, like I've seen some crazy stats with like touchdowns thrown to wide receivers, picked in the first round, stuff like that. They haven't given him a thing. They just—I think—they kind of just assumed, "Well, we have Aaron Rodgers. Let's build everything else except our passing game because we have Aaron Rodgers." Instead of helping him out, and if they helped him out a little bit, I think he'd be breaking every record possible that he's not breaking already.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about the prime time bag We have obviously Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night. Which of the three interests you the most?
2: It's got to be Sunday for me. Yeah. Um. There's just. First of all, a lot of the teams carry over, but yeah. like obviously the teams are going to care But the matchups themselves. Like looking at them, I don't see a matchup. I see one matchup actually. And if you want to include those Packer ones, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, then I see um, three or four of Aaron Rodgers again. But I only see one matchup, assuming Rodgers stays on the Packers, that I'm like, I don't really care. Yeah. And that's week one.
1: Yeah. The Bears.
2: Yeah. I, I'm sorry. The Bears suck.
1: Yeah. Well, that is entirely I think TV markets because they wanted to get the Rams to spotlight because this is the story of did last year: is hey, we're gonna show off the new stadiums, but there were new fan- there were no fans in the stadium, so they said we'll give you a do-over, have it with fans. So it's, that's why the Rams I think are on Sunday night week one again, as the Raiders are hosting Monday night week one again. So they're giving them the spotlight in the stadiums with fans, but the Bears not the best of the problem because you're hoping Justin Fields shows up there, cause otherwise Andy Dalton on Sunday Night Football is gonna turn into a pumpkin and the Bears will get blown out.
2: Yeah, I mean, as you just mentioned, the reason they're doing this is for the stadium, but I'd prefer this matchup, which I do a lot of times as the season goes on. I'd prefer if it would just flopped. Like if yeah. you were playing the Rams in Chicago, it's okay, well, the Rams are a better team here, but at least we're in Chicago. This could be interesting, you know? Yeah. And this matchup, I understand it's because of the stadium, but this matchup, it's like, all right, the Rams are better and they're home. Yeah,
1: not not a great situation here. I think if, if Tampa was going to... I think if Tampa had not been in week one already because of the Super Bowl, I think they would have been going to L.A. That would have been the matchup. But because Tampa is playing Dallas, I think they took that off the table.
2: A good example of what I'm talking about is week 10. Yeah, You have Kansas City going to the Raiders. Kansas City is a better team. But you look at it, all right, well, the Raiders are home. And it's a division foe. This actually might be an interesting game.
1: Yeah. The one I don't understand with Sunday night I'm looking at offhand is, like, how have the Vikings got on twice?
2: Because they were not good last year. And I don't see the road to improvement this year. They have, from my understanding, a basically entire new defense based on guys who are sitting out, people who were brought in. Yeah. That's people. So I, I think they might have a turnaround season. I think they're going to be an okay team with a little bit of luck. I think they could be a 10-win team.
1: Yeah, well, one of the matches is because Dallas on Halloween,
2: which makes sense because they can put the Cowboys on as much as they possibly can. So... And the last one, I, I mean, I, I honestly, with, when it comes with, with me, if I look at the last four weeks of the season, the Sunday night games, I don't even think of them as real Sunday games because – They could be, they could go. Yeah, I mean, me and you will look at the schedule right now and I look at, let's say, the – I'm not saying the Chiefs are going to be bad, but me and you look at the Chiefs and we say they're a great team, right? Because they are. Yeah. We look at the Titans. They're a very good team. The Bills are a great team. Then we look at teams like Jacksonville and Cincinnati and Denver and we think they're bad. Every year we have a new good team. So who knows by the end of the year, Denver might be good. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you need to throw Denver into one of these games. We don't know every year. That's why I always say when you're playing survivor football, take the best team imaginable at the beginning, because by the time week eight comes and you were saving the chiefs, how do you know that another team isn't going to be good by then? You want to take the teams you're sure of immediately or else you're going to get, I was trying to save the Chiefs, and then you lost picking the Falcons.
1: Yeah. I agree with that point. I also say also the two Rodgers games back there in the back stretch there is potential flex out if, the, if he's not there. Also, absolutely. If the Saints are not good, that game is Tampa is going because that is not a game that's going to draw well.
2: Yeah. I, what do you think? You think the Saints will be, I think they're going to be okay.
1: I think they'll be okay. I don't think they're going to be like the juggernaut we've seen them, baby. I think they're going to be more of like a nine win team.
2: Yeah. That's where I was thinking as well. I'm interested in the week 16 game. I always like watching the, uh, and the Eastern. division, yeah. the division foes beat up on each other, especially the, those Dallas Philly games. Yeah, just love. I, I don't know whoever it is, whoever wins, I'm just on their side. Like, yeah, screw the other team, whoever it is. I'm always excited to see one of them lose.
1: I'm also curious of the fact they put two of their heavyweight matchups, and sometimes the NFL likes to put like some of their big Sunday night games on in November for sweeps. They put in September. Chiefs, Ravens, and Bucks, Patriots—figure two of the bigger games on the schedule. They put them super early. I thought that was interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean that's Chiefs, Ravens is great. Bucks, Patriots—I mean, that's going to be. I, I if I had to take a guess based on this schedule alone, obviously the, the like the week one. I'm assuming you would know more than me. The week one game ratings are probably higher than other ones, right?
1: The Thursday game on uh, week one. Yeah, yeah. Thursday yeah, game week I, one I, is massive. I would
2: assume that Tampa. New England is going to be the most watched game of all season, except it the first game.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be very, very high because the Brage returning to New England storyline is going to be huge.
2: Yeah. I, I liked a lot of the week one matchups too. Like that, the Jets Panthers, a little like, you know, I don't know if they did that on purpose. I don't, you know, I'm not sure if they really have the flexibility to do that stuff on purpose, but that's cool to see. Yeah, you know, Sam Darnold, play, it'd be cool if it was, you know, Jets for home, but it, it's cool to see that the Darnold playing against his old team in week one.
1: Yeah, they say they don't, but they, they definitely find ways to manipulate things they want.
2: Yeah, I, it is. I mean, I've tried making a schedule in fantasy football with 12 teams or 14 teams, whatever it was at yeah. the time of my league. And that's a, that's a nightmare.
1: Yeah, it really like you is.
2: Can make, you can make a random schedule, sure. But like we like to throw in rules like a rivalry week and like a week one like storyline week where it's like if you played each other in the finals last year, you're going to play each other in week one. And it's so hard. So, like, for them to do this stuff with 32 teams, I can't imagine. And bye weeks and all that, I, I really can't imagine.
1: Yeah, and I pulled the Monday guys guys up because I want to point out a couple interesting things here, which is, number one, the Monday doubleheader of, of years past is gone. We only have one game now because that game gets brought back into Week 17 because they have the extra week to kick in. Plus, Monday nights going to have – the ESPN guys are going to have – the ability to flex after week 12, which is gonna be huge if some of these games down the stretch here end up stinking. And they also have the option to get two games put on for week 18. They're gonna pull from the Sunday slate, put them on a Saturday double header. I think it's gonna be it'll help the Monday night football package in the long run.
2: Oh yeah. I mean you're giving them flexibility, absolutely. Yeah. I, I personally don't like the two games on Monday when the season starts. Yeah. This year and last year might be a little different, but usually my reason is I got to get up in the morning and go to work. I can't stay up to one o'clock in the morning watching a football game. Yeah. So, like, if the game's starting at 10 o'clock, like, it's, not, I, I can't watch it. I got to go to bed at like halftime or something like that, or even before. But when they start the game at 8 30, I'll stay up. You know, it's only, when does the game end? Yeah. 11 12, the latest. Fine. I can stay up for that. But I'm not staying up till 1 30 in the morning to watch a game.
1: Especially when it's like two West Coast teams. It's like the Broncos yeah. and the Raiders or something. The Broncos
2: like that. and the Raiders every year. Like the one with, um, that was the one Monday night a few years back. Was, I think it was Broncos Raiders when it was that reporter on ESPN who just got slammed because he was, like, so awkward. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know
1: exactly what you're talking about.
2: Yeah.
1: I I do think, going down the stretch here, I mean, I do think, again, again I see Week 15 Vikings-Bears. I see that very much possibility to be yanked
2: out of there if these teams stink. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, put it, I see – a lot of people talk about the Dolphins and how they're good. Do you think the Dolphins? Is that I look at that week. I look at the week after it, yeah. and I say, "Well, the Saints we talked about—they may not be all that special." If the Dolphins and the Saints are not special, and you have two, well, it's Week 16, so they have played what? Well, how many games at that point? 14 games. If you're looking at two seven and seven, six and eight teams, is that going to stay?
1: Might not. Depends on what's available to them because they look at if it's close, maybe. But like. Let's say these teams bottom out. Let's say like Miami is five and nine and the Saints are four and ten. That game's gone. Yeah. I think that yeah. me. I also think that's it. Thursday night's Thursday night. There's I mean, there's not much there. Is it's always what it is. There's a reason it's going to Amazon next year because Fox says this is not worth it for us.
2: Yeah. I mean I hate it. I really wish they would get rid of it. I really do so so badly, but I understand. I know they never will. If it was up to me, they would. They would have. I've told. I've told you this off the air. My dream scenario will never exist, So my dream scenario is every game of the week is played at one and four thirty, not four, because I don't like them overlapping. Like they, yeah. they, the one o'clocks all end, then the four thirty 30s all start, and then you have one game in prime time Monday night. Now obviously, that'll never happen. No, that's just that's just money being wasted by not taking advantage of what you could. But for me as a viewer, that's what I want to see. That'd be the most enjoyable. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I also think they've been trying to spice this up a little bit. Whether, because remember, when his first start was all, oh, basically it's just division games because they had the travel rules you had to worry about. They're trying to mix it up a little bit here. It doesn't really land most of the time. I mean, Ramsey Hawks is fun. I think getting the Chiefs Chargers down the stretch will be interesting. But, like, again, Jaguars, Bengals, week four, Nick
2: Friday is not excited. No, and, and the travel thing is real. Like, if Denver going into Cleveland. Like on week seven, like that's, that's if you're, if you're Denver, you're, you're furious. Well, week 16, San Francisco
1: has to fly to Tennessee in Christmas week.
2: Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, you could look at Denver. Maybe Denver has their bye week six or eight. I can check that out.
1: They're, they're not going to give it to them the week before they never do that.
2: So, yeah. So you can, you know what I'm saying is they could make that work in the middle of the year, but, but with San Francisco going to Tennessee at week 16, there's no way their bye is 15. Yeah, There's no way it's eight, 17 or 18. So you got to go into the middle, the middle of that after three days of practice. Like that's that's really crazy that they that they make teams do that. I mean, this Thursday thing to me is a disaster, and I also hate the London stuff too.
1: Yeah, the Jets are going to London this year. The Jets are playing in Atlanta. I thought it was playing Atlanta in London. That was interesting that we're doing this when we still have potential for COVID restrictions going on in London. So
2: yeah, that is surprising, and, and I, I don't like the London thing. It's another one of those things. Though that at the end of the day, I get it. You're trying to grow the brand. You're trying to get international here, get more fans from Europe. Like, of course, you're going to do that. But to me, as a viewer, I don't want to see that. I don't want to get. Not that I'm not up, but I don't want to watch a game at nine o'clock in the morning. I like to have. I like to watch football with wings and a beer. I'm not going to have wings and a beer at nine in the morning.
1: Yeah. Plus,
2: is SMY. I guess I could. I guess I could have wings and a beer at nine in the morning, but maybe, maybe, Uh, maybe maybe next year.
1: Yeah, it's like me. It's like for me, it's like basically I make, I mean, making pancakes and uh, watching the football game with the Jets.
2: Which I, I actually, interesting enough, had some some friends, especially I had one roommate in college who was from Seattle. He's a big Seahawks fan and like Mariners and all, all the teams out there. And he, I asked him, this is like one thing that was on my mind is I was just like, so what was that like, like growing up? Like for us, it was always one o'clock football starts, you know, you can. You're in college high school you sleep in whatever you know you go to the deli and get some lunch with your friends or like a breakfast sandwich you still have time you're not missing kickoff what was it like with the the game starting at 10 o'clock in the morning and he was like it's awesome we all would sleep over together get up early watch the games and then it's all over everything's over by 8 30
1: yeah and you start your night
2: yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool i would like to experience that at least once like guess like a sunday football for football sunday out in the west coast
1: yeah, I do think that's a definitely an interesting point here for consider. And I do think in terms of the London games, like SNY Steve Gales pointed out because now he recently you know, he's the mech, mech sideline guy and he recently got reported the Jets coverage. He was making a joke on Trader He's like because the Jets play in London on week ten on week six at nine thirty in the morning. So so he's got he's joking, Hey, i got to do pregame show from the studio at eight thirty, potentially the day after a Saturday night Met playoff game. So That'll be a rough turnaround for Steve Gelps.
2: He's assuming he's a assuming match playoffs game
1: Yeah, Hey With the way they're starting you never know
2: No I think I think they'll be there honestly I do but uh, yeah that is so It reminds me of what Boomer Esiason does When he's on calling the games and he's on his radio Show at 6 o'clock in the morning
1: Yeah it is pretty nuts and I do Think that's one that I want to track And I always want to keep an eye on that especially With the COVID stuff because like We've had situations where I get by this point Most of these guys in these traveling parties will be vaccinated so That won't be as big an issue but like You're worried about these like quarantine rules. I'm sure the NFL will try and toss the Europe to the United Kingdom government and set this up. That's something you have to worry about with those two with those four teams.
2: Yeah. I'm also a little, a little thrown back by the fact that they're doing them back to back. Do you think that's a little normal?
1: Yeah. I think they wanted to just sort of like considering it's COVID still say, you know what, let's not risk it changing on us. So let's just get in, have our guys stay there once and then come back, not deal with it again.
2: Okay, yeah, because you have the guys who are going who are not part of the team. So so back-to-back definitely makes sense. But another thing that threw me off a little bit was I feel like we know from how this world has behaved the last four months. Think about the world in January and the world now with everyone getting their shots and restrictions being lifted. I think the difference of September to December is going to be huge. I'm a little surprised that they chose to do these games in week six and seven rather than doing them at
0: week 13 and 14.
2: Maybe you just don't want to show london that it's pretty cold when you watch football maybe that's the reason why but
1: i think it's more the buys where they have to give these teens the buys after
2: they fly it back
1: and they don't want to be giving the teens the buys week 13 or 14
2: you see what i'm saying how yep. like the, the world in september is going to look a lot different than the world in december hopefully yep. for the better yes yeah so that, that was something that i was thinking
1: yeah i think that's a good point we'll definitely put a pin in that
2: so do you know um i know in years past it's, re- it's been week 12 is that the last week of buys i did sale?
1: not get the chance to check this out yet i was assuming it might be like started a little later maybe finish a little later maybe like four to third maybe five to 13
2: something like that usually four to 12 i believe yes yeah um so that's something they could have if they wanted to they could have done week 11 and 12 yeah out there they could have or yeah they could have done 11 and 12 out there which should pretty much delay a month so is a month as big of a deal no, but three months is a big deal.
1: Then you're also running into Thanksgiving. You're going to say, you say, tell the Jaguars, the Dolphins, hey, you're spending Thanksgiving in, in London instead of with your families. That's a tough sell.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely a lot of bridges to cross.
1: Yeah, I also want to have a bone pick with the league in terms of scheduling. I know the Jaguars are there every year. We have to send the Dolphins out there with them because I think getting a game to the two Florida teams in Florida makes a lot more sense than playing it in London. Yeah,
2: that's kind of like a...
1: It's like if they took the Jets know. and Giants and said, "Hey, you guys are playing in London instead of playing in MetLife.
2: Do You think it's as? Do you think it's has it's similar down there? I don't know. We have to ask. We have to ask our good friend Dan Martini, who's down there. Is it? Is it? Do you think it's like a Jets Giants atmosphere down there? Or do you think it's more like a Giants Bills?
1: But again, you have Trevor Lawrence there. He might have a little more juice this year. True.
2: I just wanted. I just. I just wonder if the is like that.
1: I don't know because
2: you know, I know they're in the same state, but not you the same. See what saying?
1: Yeah, it's not the same division even.
2: It's not the same division. It's not the same city like New York City. Yeah. Not the same not the same stadium. No, that's fair. I wonder. I wonder. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that you're incorrect. I'm saying I don't know. Yeah. I'm saying I have no idea what it's like down there.
1: All right. Two other things I want to hit before we wrap this up here. Thanksgiving. We have the Bears and the Lions, Raiders, Cowboys, Bill Saints. I think this is a little weak.
2: I hate it. I want, again, another thing as a viewer that I want that I know will never happen get the Lions off Thanksgiving. They're not good. They're never good. They haven't been good. They've been good once in the last like 20 years. I'm tired of watching the Lions on Thanksgiving. It's a game where I don't pay attention at all. It's crazy. Like, I don't care about it at, at all. I do not care about the Lions game ever. And then the Cowboy game is usually okay. And then the night game all depends on how the Saints turn out. If the Saints turn out to be okay, that's a good game. If the Saints don't turn out to be okay, that's another that's another snooze fest.
1: Yeah. I was stunned. I was surprised they didn't put the ravens Steelers back there after last year. They were supposed to be on that game, and then Kobe pushed back about a week. So I was surprised they didn't make it up to NBC. So here you go, you
2: can have them back in that slot. It would have been it would have been a lot better, I think. Um I'm not really sure what to expect from Pittsburgh this year. Really don't know, but Baltimore we've seen. But those a couple, te- couple of years in a run now, they're a good team. But those teams also
1: hate each other's guts and will like basically beat each other off on the field, at, what, no matter what the records are. Bills Saints don't care each other that much.
2: Yeah, I I missed the uh, the Bengals Steelers rivalry yeah. from about five years ago. That was fun. Remember that playoff game? Oh yeah,
1: that was a good that was a good game.
2: That was a good time period for the for the rivalry for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, the NFL is a tough spot because, again, they like that's one of the few they have, that the Detroit and Dallas both host games on Thanksgiving. And I think you the, the Bears, I get why they did it, because they're saying, you know what, we don't care about the quality of the game. People are going to turn the game on because it's Thanksgiving, they'll watch anyway. I think for a few years there, there was a point where they were trying to put better games on, and they said, why bother? The reigns will be there. Let's not go for marginal upgrades and boost our schedule, which I don't like that practice.
2: You know what I noticed about Thanksgiving, and pretty much exactly what you just said is the reason why. The Giants and the Cowboys have never played on Thanksgiving. Not for like thirty years. Yeah, it's crazy. As long as I've been watching football, I started watching the Giants. I remember my first Giants game I ever watched was the the playoff game against San Francisco. So it was like two thousand two, maybe. Yeah, I think that was the first game I ever watched for the Giants, like that I had interest in. Like I watched that Super Bowl, but I wasn't really like a fan yet. But um, they never play. They never play them on Thanksgiving, and I, I see why because you can throw them in at a, the week one game, which they always seem to do, or somewhere else. And the viewership is going to be there on Thanksgiving anyway. And it's really just like every year I have this have to answer the same question from from my father. He goes, he says, "Why does Detroit always play on Thanksgiving, and why does Dallas always play?" And I say, "It's just the tradition." I don't because yeah, but but like why? Like how did the tradition start? And like I have no idea. Yeah, I thought they got I, to go. Wikipedia. Look some of, up. Yeah. Like there's some of the older teams, I, I guess, but like, I just don't like the tradition. I feel like what's the point. If like the team you want, everyone's going to watch. Don't you want to show your product off in a good way? Yeah. You, you could look at that in two ways. You could say, everyone's going to watch anyway. That's all we care about is the ratings, but well, don't you also want to show them a good product because people who don't ordinarily watch, who are watching. They'll say, Hey, I can get into this instead of watching the snooze fest. And they're like, why don't you just watch football? And they're sitting there watching it like he has some family members who don't like football at Thanksgiving. And they're like, This is why I don't watch. The games are so boring. But if you show them a good game, then, then maybe they'll get into it.
1: That's exactly what I don't think they get, which I think you made a good point. They did for sort like of, I think a couple of years. There was like I think like maybe 2012, ish 2013, they were trying to do this, then they gave up on it again, which I think that's the point where you put a good like even if you know the why bad, put a good team out against them, or you can say, okay. Here's let's say they're playing, let's say Rodgers on the backers. Put Green Bay on again. We'll let them let Rodgers put on a show for them. What we'll a good match against the Cowboys, because I don't think the Raiders will be very good. I think I think gonna end up being like a lopsided uncompetitive game. I think you yeah. g- give somebody in there who can be exciting, maybe once and change it up so you know it's not predictable where it's like, oh, you know, the fifth most interesting team on Dallas is scheduled to be their Thanksgiving
2: opponent. Yeah, either give them a good game, like one year, throw us like a Chiefs, you know, whatever, or give me a big name. Now, in the Chiefs case, that's both with Mahomes, but or give me, you know, give me Ben Roethlisberger, give me Brady, give me Rogers, give me someone, even if they're going to crush the other team. Give me a game where it's like, oh, at least I can tune in and watch and watch Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Someone that you're trying to, you know, you're someone that you're trying to push as the face of the NFL.
1: Yeah. For the, for me, and I know the NFL has gone out of its way also to try and break some of these Thanksgiving drafts. They did not do it this year, but the Rams haven't Thanksgiving since 1975. This would have been a good year to get them in, in there against Dallas. Really,
2: 1975, yeah.
1: huh? It's the long. I think it's the longest active drought of any NFL team.
2: And you said the Giants was roughly 30 years since they played the Cowboys. Well, I mean, they, yeah, they played Denver like 10 years ago, I think. Yes, it was a night game, but you know. So, um, yeah, I would have thrown the Rams in there. Like I mentioned earlier, I mean, obviously, in my mind, if you win the Super Bowl and win the NFC, you are the team to beat in the NFC. So I think is the team to beat in the NFC. But besides that, I think it's the Rams.
1: Yeah, and the Rams have a big name in quarterback in Matthew Stafford. So that's one where you could sell it here and say, here, come watch this game. And, like, he's very interesting. And I was looking at the Rams, because actually it was Detroit they were playing this year. So, like, that would have, they don't play either team, which is unfortunate. Like, why not that night game for the Rams?
2: I don't know. I'd love to see it.
1: Yeah, I feel bad for the Rams because I do think they should have gotten the Thanksgiving shot this year. I also think think we're getting two Christmas games again this year. We have the Packers hosting, I believe the Browns, and then the Cardinals hosting the Colts. And this is sort of, again, I see the NFL trying to muscle in that NBA Christmas Day turf to try and get some ratings.
2: I like the Colts Cardinals matchup. I yeah. think both those teams are really good. Yeah, and if and if Rogers is still around, I like the other matchup too. Yeah. So I don't mind the matchups, but I don't know. It's Strange for me, Christmas was always basketball. Yeah. You know, Thanksgiving was always football. Christmas Eve was football. Christmas, or not always, but a lot of the times, Christmas Eve ended up having football, and then Christmas Day was always basketball. So it's a little odd.
1: Yeah. It's just the case where they're seeing opportunity because it falls on a Saturday. So, say, well, we'll just throw a couple games on there. Just get some games on the air and just try and siphon some of that NBA audience away.
2: Yeah. I I, I enjoy watching basketball on Christmas. So to me, it's it's like, now I got to choose, which is exactly what the NFL wants, but it's not what the NBA wants, i tell you that much. And plus, you know, the Knicks will be back there next year because they
1: were good. You'll have the Nets on there. Like, they'll have, the NBA will have a point. The Knicks will usually
2: be there even if they're not good. The Knicks, the Lakers will be there, the Nets. Yeah. A lot of times, even when the Bulls are not good, they'll throw them in there. Just a big market. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and the Knicks have not been on for a few
1: years because they've been terrible. But after this year, they're going to be in, back in that noon and MSG slot on Christmas. You can take they, that to the bank.
2: Yeah, they usually throw the... The big markets versus the good teams. Yeah. And and then right now the Knicks look like both. But you, you, you'll see that again. I, hopefully we see that again. You know, a nice NBA Christmas schedule.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a future discussion for another day. Nick, I want to thank you for all the time. I really appreciate it. You're going to tag out for Justin May. We're, we're Pete Considori, and we're going to talk about some hockey. Sound good to you?
2: Yeah, and when we come back, we're talking Clone Wars, and I can't wait.
1: Yeah, indeed. We'll be checking back in at the end of the podcast to do some Clone Wars. We'll be joined by Pete Considori, just a minute to talk about the hockey, including the big news of the day, the Rangers firing head coach David Quinn right after this. Three assists. There we go. The right off the faceoff. Yeah. Three fights simultaneously. Rooney and Dowd. Giuseppe going at it with Hathaway, Blackwell, and Haglin. One second in. First off, classy move by Blackwell. He had Aguilin down, and he didn't throw an extra punch. Hathaway and D Giuseppe are really getting after one another. That reminds me of when John Tortorella coached the Rangers and Pete DeBoer coached the New Jersey Devils, and they got after it. Kenny, you were here to do that game. I was here to do that game with Doc Emrick, and it got a whole lot of nasty. That was a lot of nasty right there. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. You just heard Kenny Albert and Pierre McGuire of NBC Sports breaking down the fight night at MSG last week when the Rangers and the Capitals went to blows from the opening tip, opening drop of the puck to get back to the Tom Wilson situation. Join me today, talk more hockey. at our emergency chat last week, Pete Constori is here. Pete, how are you?
0: Mike, I'm doing well. Uh, A lot of things going on today. A lot of things going on today uh, in the world of hockey. We have a couple of uh, breaking news stories, I guess, if you want to talk about those, some coaching news stories. And also, too, we got playoffs coming up, which is very, very exciting.
1: Yeah, indeed. And we are recording on Wednesday night and the breaking news of the day. The Ranger purge continues. David Quinn fired at the end of the season. Chris Drury now picking a new head coach.
0: Pete, instant reaction to the David Quinn move. So, you know, we talked about this in the kind of the emergency podcast that we had, um, and I had my rumors about how it wasn't about the coaching or or the front office is why, you know, Gordon and and Davidson got let go. However, um, this this kind of proves my theory wrong, right? So David Quinn's out as the head coach. Um, Can't help but think from the list you sent me earlier today that Dolan has some names in mind he'd like to get in. To the Rangers, and we'll go over those names. I'm sure you'll read those off to us. Um, it's interesting. I think David Quinn didn't really get a fair shake. You know, I don't think he got a fair shot at this. Uh, he's only been uh in the Rangers organization for what about uh, it has to be what four years, roughly, yeah, Five? yeah, something like that. I don't think he got it, it, I don't think he got a, a fair break. Uh, pretty much the whole coaching staff was released today except for Benoit Lair, the goalie coach. So I'm very excited that Benoit. Still has a job at the Rangers, considering he is the top goalie coach, I think, in the NHL. Um, He does wonders with those netminders. So it's interesting to see them clean house, but I can't say I'm surprised because of how Dolan reacted with J.D. and uh, Gordon. So it should be interesting. And there's a couple of big names on that list uh, for potential uh, coaching matches for the New York Rangers.
1: Yeah, indeed. And Larry Brooks from the Post, the one who broke the firings. Last week, broke the firing Quinn today. And I'm going to pull read from what he said in his article. I texted the period today. The names on the list, Gerard Gallant, who we know took Vegas to the Cup Final before he got let go. Rick Tockett just let go by the Coyotes. Bob Hartley. John Tortorella, reunion with the Rangers. Essentially, Mike Babcock, Patrick Waugh. Those are the six names on the list. You can see the trend right here of the guys on this list. They are guys who... According, at least according to James Dolanstein, he help the Rangers win right now. It seems to be his mentality here. And if, if that's the list that's early on, you have a sense he could put his thumb on the scale here and, and strongly influence this higher. I,
0: I agree 100%. Um, I don't like Babcock or Torts being on that list. Uh, nothing against Rella. I'm not saying he's not a good coach to be on your bench when it comes to winning. I just don't think he's a good coach, coach to be on your bench when it comes to the young talent. I don't think that he speaks to the young talent in a way that they would respond well to it. Um, We saw Patrick line, not respond very well to Tortorella. Patrick line, just announced that he likes it in Columbus. Uh, I find it very funny that he announces this after Torella makes it known that he's not coming back next season. Um, We know that line and Tortorella didn't really get along. I don't know if that's a personality issue clashing. I don't know if that's a line thinking he deserves more ice time kind of issue, But his style of coaching, well, while effective in some sort of degree, I don't know if it's going to be the greatest for a young Ranger team. Um, Tockett is an interesting play, and the only reason why I say that is because I don't, I don't know if he got, you know, just like with David Quinn, I don't know if he got a fair shot at coaching uh, when it came to the Arizona Coyotes. I mean, if you look at their players, it's you know they don't have like these huge, huge names on there. Yes, they do have um, some big names like Phil Kessel, um, Gardner. and a bunch of others, and I know I'm missing one huge one right now, and it's bothering me because it's on the tip of my tongue, but it, they're not a win-right-now team, Arizona. They have a lot of work to do. And again, another coach that I don't think I have a fair shot. What interests me is Gerard Gallant. He comes off a beautiful resume in Vegas. He obviously knows what he's doing. He got picked to be the Vegas coach because of his career in hockey and in coaching. I can see them, the Rangers, trying to make a play for Gallant. And Gallant may actually be interested in taking a team and saying, hey, we can band together and we can win this. He did this with you know, what was the misfit team of Vegas, right? Everyone had a chip on their shoulder. Um, I, I have to believe that the Rangers players are going, wow, they just cleaned house, we're next. And we need to show what we're made of, and we need to show that we deserve to be on this roster. So maybe having Gerard Gallant behind them would be a good fit. Yeah, it could be. I mean, Gallant is
1: probably the most intriguing on that list and talking. I can see the point you made here, but I will say I want no part of Mike Babcock after Toronto blew up in his face. I did not want to do with that. And we've done John Torrell twice already, the Rangers. He wore out his welcome quickly both times. So, I mean... With this kind of team and the kind of players you have on it, he's not a fit in my opinion. But James Dolan, I feel like, is going to sit there and say, you know what? He coaches hockey the right way. They're tough teams. They block shots. We need that kind of guy on the bench again. I could see him just like, stick stuff into drawers and say, we need to bring Torts back again.
0: Do you think Torts is done with coaching? No. You think he goes somewhere like maybe yeah. like in Arizona or somewhere? I mean, hey, let's let's not forget Seattle's going to be a team next year. Yeah. This is, this is also a opening for someone. I think I heard some rumors. I was listening to Spit and Chicklets uh, earlier today. There were some rumors that maybe they're trying to make a play at Brindamore. Don't know. Um, but we cannot forget that the 32nd AHL franchise will be coming in next season. So there are, you know, Gerard Gallant. He has experience working with expansion teams, right? He t- took the Vegas Golden Knights to the Cup, and I'm sure Seattle's looking at him going, hey, you know. Uh, Help us out. Help us out here. Do it with Vegas. Maybe we could, you could do it again with us in the next expansion team. I would hate to have Gerard Gallant be labeled as the expansion team coach, um, but, you know, guy like Tockett, even a guy like Wah, you know, like maybe he's going over there uh, and the next misfit team, if you will, you know, the unprotected, the unprotected players. We can't forget about Seattle. So maybe Babcock or maybe Tocket or even maybe Tortorella gets taken off the board right away and the Rangers don't really have that much to play with when it comes to head coaching.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's a shame because what's going on with this team because you could, if you went into this year knowing the situation, and James Dolan clearly didn't, he'd understand that, you know what, they're in a division where they had four teams are basically locked into playoffs and the Rangers were at best five, which they end up finishing in the standings. The way this team came together at the end, you had Mike Good's advantage dealing with COVID, you had Panarins uh situation basically had the hit piece put out on him by the Russian government. You had all these different issues going on here with the injuries, and this team played very well. And I think it was clear that there were issues that J.D. and Gordon were going to fix, but, Tor- but Dolan was just so impatient, and now
0: you are left wondering what's going to happen here. Look, what I find interesting is that the Rangers missed the playoffs with a positive goal differential. Yeah. They stand the season with a plus 20. Okay. And I'm looking on here on HL.com right now. They're only 11 points out of the top 4. They probably would have made a wild card slot if they had wild cards in this league. And also if they weren't just playing the same teams like the Penguins, the Capitals, all these like really brutal teams to play against to Try again to get into the playoffs. I I feel like the Rangers may have gotten in this year if they played the Arizona Coyotes. If they played, you know, and yes, we had the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey Devils, and even we were kind of beating up on the Philadelphia Flyers, but like, what if we played against the Detroits? What if we played against the Columbuses? What if we played against Chicago, Ottawa, Vancouver? I mean, we if we had that much um, spectrum of, of teams to play against, we may have more points, and we may be in the playoffs, not even in a wild-card slot. So I wonder if Dolan took that into account. I wonder if he took a look and said, hey, even with all of our – injuries and covid and all the personal things that were going on with our team we were still only 11 points out of a playoff spot and that was only with 56 games if this is a full 82 game season a lot could have happened in those you know 20 something games so i don't i don't think he thought this one out too too much i think you know we talked about this in the emergency podcast i think we're seeing dolan take his focus away from the Knicks now that the Knicks have found some success. And now he's saying, Hey, I own this team too. I, I, I want them to win. Now, now's the time I'm going to focus my efforts on them now. And that, that might be to our detriment. Indeed. And the
1: coach, you think his own problem. That's something you can look at down the line, but it turns it on the ice. You saw there were certain teams that like, they had issues, particularly the Islanders and the Bruins, these physical teams where you couldn't, Whereas Rick Carpenter always said, let's like, like play fancy boy hockey at times. They go East West, make all the passes. You can't do that against these teams. So like, what do you think they need to add? To try to help them win against some of these teams.
0: I think getting rid of Brendan Lemieux was probably the worst thing they could have done. Um, for this Ranger team, I'm not saying that he's not an asset to trade away, but I am saying that for this Ranger team, he would have definitely added some grit and maybe Dolan would have made this extreme move. Like he did. Maybe he would have seen, okay. Um, we have some potential here. I do think they need some sort of physicality in their game. Uh, the Rangers are built, uh, and I'm going to quote Spit and Chicklets here. I forgot who said if it was wit or if it was a Um, They're built for speed and skill. They are not built for any sort of toughness or any sort of roughness. Now, granted, Brendan Smith, he answered the bell. He went up and he fought Tom Wilson because he had to. But let's be honest, no one's throwing big hits. No one's playing a muscle game. And especially when you're playing against the big, bad Bruins and you're playing against, you know, the Flyers or or any team that's more physical than you, you're going to lose on the fact that they're just bullying you on the ice. I mean, this happens to me in just men's league, right? So you can only imagine at the level of the NHL how much – being bullied on the ice actually affects the game. So I think they need to find some grit in like a third or fourth line players. I don't know if they're going to go to their guys that they already have on their third and fourth line and say, Hey, look, we, we kind of need you to step up and be that, that gritty third liner, fourth liner for us, that tough guy. I just, I don't know if we have anyone on the team like that. Um, so it's going to come down to maybe a trade. I know that the Jack Eichel rumor mill has been, running since you know the trade deadline. I know that Dolan wants to win and he probably has his sights on Eichel right now. We're going to have to give up some pieces for for Eichel. I wonder if we call some people up. Let's say let's say this trade goes down and we have to give up some pieces for Eichel. Maybe we bring up some people from Hartford that could play a more physical game and that's their role and they play that role. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be getting anyone that's not uh skilled, but we need that physicality. We do. And I I can't blame Dolan for that. I just don't know if firing the GM and the president is better than saying, hey, I'm the owner. You're not doing it the way I want you to do it. You got a year to fix it. If you don't, then you're gone. I think that would have been a little bit better because I think Gordon, because he's a smart guy, would have found a really good, skilled, you know, rough and tumble fighter uh, in a year, he could have done that. And I, I just, I don't know if like just pulling the trigger that quickly was the, the right move.
1: Yeah, they had their own issue. We'll keep an eye on them through the offseason. The Islanders are still playing on, though. They do get through the first round. They are playing, I believe, is the Capitals in the first round, correct?
0: They are playing the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh,
1: it's Penguins. Yeah, they fought, I forgot they felt, they felt behind the Bruins. So they are playing the Penguins. What do you think about that matchup for them?
0: Um, interesting matchup. That matchup we saw a couple years ago and, uh, the Islanders swept. I think the Pittsburgh yep. Penguins. My my thoughts serves me correctly. If my mind serves correctly, memory. Excuse me. Yes. Third time's a charm. Um, it's an interesting matchup. We, I, you know, I haven't heard much about Barzal this year. You know, like he was this big name, especially all the Islander fans. And you know, I'm sorry, I'm a Rangers fan, so I'm a little bit biased, and I just sometimes can't stand Islander fans. But Islander fans like Barzal is the best. He's better than Tavares. He's been very quiet this year, very very quiet. Um, a healthy Pittsburgh team, I think, can definitely beat the New York Islanders. Pittsburgh's at a plus 40 goal differential, and the Islanders are at a plus 28. So 12 goals there, that's that's, that's a decent number to be above. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be a cakewalk. Uh, this Eastern Conference, or Mass Mutual East, as they're calling it, <laughs> is a very difficult division to be playing in. Um, so... Islanders Pittsburgh. I have to give the edge to Pittsburgh right now. I just don't think the Islanders are playing um, like they did against Pittsburgh a few years back, and I just think Pittsburgh is a little more hungry. I think the Islanders are kind of taking a back seat, and they kind of almost trailed off there at the end.
1: Yeah, that's certainly a great point. I mean, they the thing that's interesting with them, it's tough for them because last year this is a team that went to the conference finals in the bubble up in, up in Toronto and Edmonton, and you're sitting there like, if we build this this year, and then you get this division draw, which means you get past Pittsburgh, then you got to. People of Washington or get beat up by the Bruins and get through that, you they might be like physically spent by the time they get to a conference semi get to a cup semifinal
0: round. Absolutely, I think in, in this whole division, any team's going to be spent by the time they get to that. Um, once they get to a conference matchup, they're done, they're going to be shot. So, um, the Islanders kind of falling off there toward the end. Um, they're on, oh, you know, their last was an overtime loss. Uh, so I think Pittsburgh is a little more hot than the Islanders are right now. I could be wrong. Uh, like I said, I'm not watching the Islanders every single night, but just by seeing the makeup of the team and how they play versus how Pittsburgh's playing, I, I have to give the edge to Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, indeed, and it's gonna be fun to see how what happens to them. And we have most of the bra- the brackets pretty much set at this point. It might be a couple of casual flip flop here there of
0: the four brackets. Like, which one is the most interesting to you so far? <sighs> so the most interesting one, and it, it's not. I want to see the bracket is interesting more. Well, actually, the whole bracket is interesting. The Discover Central to me is very interesting, very intriguing. You have Carolina versus Nashville, and you have Tampa Bay versus Florida. Yeah. And the Florida Panthers have had their their seasons where they're barely getting people in the building. But the Florida Panthers, second in the division, Um, only a couple points above Tampa Bay. I think it was 75 to 79 points. But I saw a very interesting stat. That Andre Vasilevsky and I and I hope I'm getting the numbers right is two for two and four against the Florida Panthers, but has a winning record against all other teams. I wonder if Vasilevsky struggles against this Panthers team if the Panthers can advance to the next round.
1: Yeah, it's a fun bracket because Carolina has been like the best team like in that division the whole year, and you know Tampa's defending champ there. Plus, the battle of Florida, as you mentioned, this could be very interesting because these teams I don't think they I don't think they met in the postseason before, so it'll be fun to see this happen.
0: Oh, hundred percent, and I think I think it's going to make hockey in Florida a little bit more interesting. I think for the fan base of the Florida Panthers as well, and just growing the sport in a warm weather state. I think it's good for the the sport, and I think it's good for the state as well.
1: Yeah, I think it is too, and I also think it's like most fun matchup. I think outside of the East, I think getting Toronto Montreal in the first round will be a lot of fun, especially because these two haven't met in the playoffs about like twenty five years, thirty
0: years, and and they're going to kill each other. I, I think so, but I also think that this is the year that Toronto makes it past the first round. They should, um, yeah. Just judging by the numbers and looking how the teams are playing, um, if you want to go by pure stats, seventy-six points for the Montreal, uh, excuse me, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then fifty-eight points for the Montreal Canadiens. Okay, um, big spread there when it comes to points, goal differential. Montreal's a negative eight. I know I'm, like, really, and I am apologize for looking up because I'm looking at my screen. I know I'm kind of highlighting this goal differential, but think about that. They have been outscored by eight goals the whole season. Yes. Toronto has a plus 42. So that doesn't bode well when it comes to that matchup for the Canadians. Now, obviously, things can happen. The Habs can go off, and they could beat Toronto four games to nothing. Just looking at pure numbers... I really don't think that this is going to go well for the Habs. I think Toronto is probably going to win this matchup pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. Carrie Price is on his head for the uh, Canadians have a chance in series.
0: Uh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it too, who's on a defensive core for Montreal, Shea Weber, who else name one. <laughs> I can't. Right. So, so Carrie price can be flawless and only let up maybe one or two goals. And they'll probably still not do well. So, uh, you know, I hope for the best. Like I, you know, no ill will to the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I just I don't think Montreal is going far. Yeah. Plus, uh,
1: we want. I think Toronto, everything would else, be a very fun play. Semi be fun fun uh, uh, North uh, Division final. There,
0: it, it definitely would be. I mean, I think ratings would be up. Right, yeah. Matthews versus McDavid. Yeah, McDavid. You know hundred points well actually more in like 52, 53 games, which is insane. And, you know, everyone's saying like, Oh, you know, he only played against so many teams. It's like, he, you don't, you don't think he was going to hit that against other teams. Yeah. Like he's playing the round, Maple Leafs, the Winnipeg Jets, the Montreal Canadiens. What if he was playing against the Sabres? What if he's playing against, you know, New Jersey or, or even the Rangers? Like it, he was going to do it. Yeah. He's, he's just a, he's just a, uh such a hardcore player. Like he just, he he needs the recognition. He deserves the recognition. I actually have a question for you because I saw this on a on a tweet, and I also saw this like hearing out. Wouldn't you think that Edmonton would just try to go all out to try to win with McDavid in his prime and just get as many pieces as they could? Well, logically that would make sense. Right. Like you look at McDavid now, he's scoring a hundred points or over hundred points in the 56 games, you know, season, right? Why are you not making ridiculous moves to try to get as many people as you could on Edmonton to try to stack that team and win. Now it's the Mike most- well, Davidson is prime. I'm not saying McDavid's going to slow down anytime soon, but I saw that tweet and I heard that. I was like, yeah, why, why aren't they doing that? The Rangers did that around Rick frickin' Nash. What the hell are <laughs> they doing? Like McDavid is it's such a higher level. Maybe they're 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 spoiled. Maybe they think, well, because McDavid's such a high level, we don't have to worry about getting all these other high level players, but you got to help him out too. He can't do everything with dry style alone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's
1: the Mike Trout problem, basically. It's where the Angels can't build around Mike Trout for some reason. The Oilers are not built around McDavid enough.
0: Well, baseball doesn't even have an excuse because there's no salary cap, right? Yeah. There's just a luxury tax. Yeah. At least with the NHL, they can go, oh, well, because of the cap, and he's the most uh, paid player, blah, blah, blah. But, like, what is the Angels' excuse? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point. But since we're talking about the Canadian teams, they do have an interesting situation here with the border pro- situation with the COVID. Because obviously – the U.S. is doing much better than Canada is in terms of vaccinating people. I think we're close, to getting close to, I think, 60% of U.S. adults have had at least one dose of the shot, and Canada, the percentage is much slower. We still have the border restriction close, and that's fine while they're playing in the semifinals over there. But we get down to the Final Four. Do you think we're going to have some sort of situation where we're going to have to bring the Canadian team across the border to play? Do you think we're going to have talks to the government to sort of get exceptions here? What do you th- how do you think they're going to handle that?
0: I think, uh, like you said, I think it would come from Canada to U.S. I don't think Canada's going to want um, – well, actually, you know, it could go either way, right? So let's say the teams are vaccinated, which I think all of the, the NHL teams are vaccinated. I think they all got the chance to get vaccinated, I, and, I, and they have been or at least had their first shot. I think the Canadian you know, teams is the issue at that point. Yeah, so, so you know, issues are not, I mean, if everyone's vaccinated, right, I mean, I, I'm I, I'm not a – expert at covid vaccines or how it works but if everyone's fully vaccinated you would think that traveling um to Canada would, would ease the mind a little bit of the canadian official saying well they're all vaccinated they're not yes. going to transmit now granted I, I could be wrong i don't again know how the vaccine works entirely um but if we're having a better situation here maybe the Canadian teams will come here and be in a bubble Yeah and can would say hey you can't come back up here until you test negative six times or whatever like you know give them some sort of stats or they could just delay it and we could be seeing you know like we did with the bubble last year we could be seeing like a final in august or something like i don't i don't you know who knows you know i i I think it's a weird situation to be in, and it's a, it's a it's a hard call because you have to deal with the whole country's safety in mind. You can't just be like, oh, well, we'll just do bubbles. It's fine. You have to worry about what the Canadian officials are saying uh, they want to do for their people. So either the Canadian teams come here and they have to quarantine or they have to get tested or vaccinated or whatever before they go back to Canada, or they postpone it until Canada says, okay, we can open up the border again. Yeah, I think for sure. I think an
1: exception will be in play. I see something saying, "Hey, like you know, like here's our t-. like if there's only one team and one team going back and forth, it's not as big. I don't think it's as big a deal as like everybody going across the like across the border every day. And you know, also if Toronto is that last team standing and the Maple Leaf fans have to watch the team potentially playing for a Stanley Cup in the United States, that can't even go to the
0: games. They'll be furious. Well, I don't think they're going to be able to go to the games anyway. Yeah, I think because you know we're fortunate enough. um, I don't even want to use the word fortunate because nothing is fortunate about COVID, but I think we're at a point now in the USA where people can go back to games. I don't think Canada is going to be there for a while if they're having this many problems. Yeah. So, or, or, you know, the vaccination rate is too low. So I don't think Canadian teams are going to be able to see in person their teams play anyway. I don't think that's going to be an option for this year's playoff run for, for Canada. I hope that we can get this under control quicker and that everyone can go back to games soon. I just don't know if they could do it safely in Canada right now.
1: You'd also hear the Maple Leaf fans. That's a good point about the the Canadian government not letting fans in, but you could also hear the Maple Leaf fans say that they're saying like, Hey, we got screwed. Like we had to play on the road the entire last round. And then you you say, what are you going to do?
0: Well, that's exactly it. What are you going to do? I mean, we, we didn't ask for COVID to happen. Uh, There's things are changing every day. Yeah. Tomorrow. Canada may say we're opening up the border. Yeah, I, we don't know. I am sure there is some discussion between the National Hockey League, uh, as well as the, um, you know, as well as uh, the ca- Canadian officials about this. But a quick question, because I'm not following it. Where are the Toronto Blue Jays doing? Right now, they are
1: still in the United States. Like, they are playing. Oh, so they're
0: playing in the United States. They're, okay. they're in
1: Dunedin right now. They're playing their spring training facility. They're moving up to Buffalo again, starting in June. So got it that's the right right, so
0: that, I was going to say, what are they doing with that situation? But since they're playing in the U.S., then they don't have to worry about crossing any borders.
1: Yeah, right now, I think the regular season makes just makes too much sense for that to happen. I could see them right. saying, you know, if the Blue Jays are in the playoffs in, in October and things are much better, then I could see them saying, okay, you can come back to Toronto for the playoffs. But
0: Yeah, October is right. a long ways away. So a lot of good can happen in that. So happen in that time. So, yeah, so I'm sure there's talks. I'm sure that there is – some sort of agreement in place saying like, "Hey, we either can't postpone, we have to figure some out, or we can postpone." Yeah, I just I think those are the only two options. I think that either the Canadians come down here um, to the U.S., they cross the border, go south, or we postpone until the borders open up and we go. Okay, we can resume the conference finals because that's when Canada would have to play a U.S. team as the conference final. Yeah. Um, so we'd have to postpone the conference final and the Stanley cup final till further notice. I would assume if they go the postponement route.
1: Yeah, I think for sure. That makes a lot of sense. I don't think they're going to postpone those. They want to get their, their calendar back on track considering they have right. Seattle coming in. So I think, I think the, the case would be the market to bring the Canadian team over here and say, we're going to wait.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think that's fair. I think if you can get the Canadian team over here and then eat, if Canada says, Hey, you got to stay there for a month after. Okay. You know, I, at that point, you know, if they're in their offseason, where are they going anyway? I mean, granted, you want to be with your family. I'm not saying that's okay to say, yeah, just be away from your family. You know, you guys have kids and wives and, and parents and, and siblings and, So I understand it. I'm not saying that it's not, it's okay to do it, but at the end of the day, if that's what has to be done because of the situation, I'm sure there's something in place to say, okay, you got to quarantine for two weeks. You got to follow the CDC guidelines, or you have to follow our guidelines, the Canadian guidelines about it, or you got to get vaccinated while you're down there, if it's allowed. And then when you're fully vaccinated, you can come back up.
1: Yeah. I think the easiest I say surrounds, like put them in Buffalo and say, okay, you're, you're stationed here for the cup for the conference finals.
0: That is a possibility. I mean, even Montreal. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's a sticky situation, but they'll figure it out. We'll we'll know soon enough, once we get to the conference final, what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, let's get to the playoffs here. Go with your favorites to win the Cup. I mean, I will say I picked Vegas to win the Cup. I'm not going to mention who I had them playing against because that was an awful pick on my end. But
0: let's go with... Can you remind me of that pick,
1: Mike? I'll tell you off the air. <laughs> it was not good. It did not age well.
0: Oh, man. But we'll go... We'll go so with... Mike.
1: My- yeah, we'll go with, yeah. We'll go with your top three
0: Cup favorites right now. Top three. Um. So I do think Colorado is a favorite of mine. Yeah, they're just way too good. I know they're not at the top of the standings, but they're only two points out from Vegas, and they still have two games or three games to be played. It was it fifty-six game season? They have two games left to play. They're at seventy-eight points. They could win both games, and Vegas could lose their last game, and they could be the President Trophy winner. Okay, um, because they'll have to be eighty-four points um vegas would be if even if they win uh 82 i'm sorry they'd be at 82 points if vegas loses it'd be 80 and they'll be tied with carolina i, I do like colorado unfortunately i think minnesota is going to be again one of those we're going to the playoffs we're not going to make it past the first, second round i don't know why minnesota can't get over that hump i just i don't hear and see much except for their rookie Capriel, i think he, i'm saying his name right i think it's cap- um, he's cap- off, cap off i think yeah. Yeah. He's really good. I just no cup experience. I don't I don't know how they're going to go with that. Um, Colorado, my favorite, even over Vegas. Um, I also really, really like Toronto this year, only because it's been the same old song and dance for them for And they finally don't have to play the Boston Bruins in the first round. <laughs> All right. I think they're going to take this to their advantage and say, Hey, we can actually get past the first round. I think it's going to be like the Washington Capitals, right? They finally got past the second round. They won the whole damn thing. I think Toronto is going to ride that wave if they can beat the Montreal Canadiens, which I think they could. I also think they can beat one of Edmonton or Winnipeg. I think Edmonton comes out of that um, fairly quickly as well against Winnipeg. However, they can beat both those teams and go to the conference final, in my opinion. So I think if they get to the conference final, they win the whole thing as well. My third and my kind of like sneaky, sneaky kind of thing is Boston Bruins. Now, the reason why I say Boston Bruins is because Taylor Hall has been doing very well on that team, and I think he has a lot to prove. I think there's been a lot of talk about the Taylor Hall curse. You know, he hasn't been good since the Devils or whatever like that. I think that the Boston Bruins, even without Z. You know, even without um some of their other players, I think they could win it too. I, I I think Taylor Hall has something to prove. And I think just that alone is gonna be a force to be reckoned with. So if I would go in order, I'm gonna say uh the Colorado Avalanche, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then my final favorite would be the Boston Bruins.
1: Yeah. My quick top out of my head, I'd say I'm gonna stick with Vegas. I pick up to win the cup. I'm gonna say Vegas, Colorado, I think whoever comes out of there is probably the favorite to win the cup. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Carolina is number three for me.
0: I You know, I like Carolina. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know if they have it in them. You know, like I feel bad for saying, it. I just, I don't like, I think the Panthers have a better chance of winning Carolina because I think Carolina has been in this position before. And I don't want to say they get too cocky, but they, they may not play with the same kind of heart that maybe like a Florida Panthers team would saying, Hey, we're hungry. We can play hockey. We're going to win. I, I feel like if the Panthers go up against Carolina, the Panthers win. So I don't know about Carolina.
1: Yeah, it's interesting point. One other thing before we get to our last thing on the TV contracts here, why is the NHL making Vancouver play out the entire string here? It makes no sense to me because they're, they're told to take on those players, playing meaningless games against Calgary or playing all those games against Ottawa. It makes no sense to me.
0: Well, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I I think it's just what they're gonna do. Say to Vancouver fans, "Hey, you can't watch games." Or we, you know, I I I understand what you're saying. They're in no position to win anything right? They had a big problem with COVID. They were out for a while. You know, they still have five games to play spread out between Ottawa, Calgary, all those teams. You, you kind of have to let them finish out the season. It's almost like the Buffalo Sabres a couple of years ago. It's like, it's like, is there a mercy rule? You know, like, is there something to say like if you're that far out of the playoffs, you just stop playing. I mean, at the end of the day, you're selling a product. I mean, I, I hate to say it. a sport is a product. You're selling a product to fans. Even if you know the game doesn't mean anything, you know there's going to be people in Vancouver turning on that game and watching the game and enjoying some hockey. I mean, if it's on, I'll watch it too. So, unfortunately, as much as it doesn't mean anything, if the Rangers are in that position, I'd still tune in and watch some hockey, see if there's any prospects as they you know, call up and see if anything's interesting how they do. I don't know. I To me, hockey is hockey. Obviously, if your team's out of it, it makes it a little less fun, but I'll still put it on and watch it. I mean, there's a difference between the Buffalo
1: Sabres and A2 game season when they're buried with 15 games left saying, hey, you know, I got to finish the games out compared to this situation where they had missed three weeks of a bunch of COVID like situations and then saying, hey, you get to play 19 games in 31 days to finish your schedule. It makes no sense to me. I,
0: you know, I, I agree. I agree. But. I guess I guess the schedule's a schedule. You got to have every team play the the games that they're supposed to play. Yeah. Sponsors were lined up for the games for the TV. You know, we talked just we, we just teased TV deals. You know, if they just say, "Hey, you're not playing," there goes you know five games worth of TV sponsors. They're not going to air because of it. So, I you know I'm I'm inclined to think it has to do a lot with first of all, this is how it works. You play the season out, even if you're out. Um, but also too, like they probably lose a ton of money on on marketing and and uh and you know branding. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I could see that point. Let's throw the TV to wrap this up here because the TV contracts. We had some developments here. The NHL got new TV deals. NBC is out. They are no yep. longer doing the NHL after the season. Oh ABC- boy, they
0: mailed it in the other day. <laughs> they mailed it in, so I I texted you. And I don't know if we said this on the podcast, we might have. NBCSN was running the game. That the fight happened with Tom Wilson and Brendan Smith and then pretty much every there was line brawls in that range of game. Everything was going I was about what, like a hundred penalty minutes yep. in the first period of some something crazy number. They were using a freaking baseball diamond for the clock, for the period, to see yeah. how much time was left in the period. And I know it was a baseball diamond because the, the the triangles on the edge of the diamonds were flashing. I'm like, you couldn't make, like, a circle? Couldn't put a square up there? Like, how <laughs> lazy can you be that you're using a baseball diamond for an NHL game? Yeah. They totally mailed it in. Totally mailed it in. And you probably knew they mailed it in when Pierre Maguire was the color commentator. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Not going to lie to you. I don't want to see Pierre Maguire ever again. I lost all respect for him when I was watching the Stanley cup final. And he said that Vegas was in green and gold. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Hey, maybe he's colorblind. I don't know. I don't judge, but do the research before you go out on the TV and tell me he, he's in green and gold or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, his he, he, he has these typical, I'm sorry, I'm going around here. Typical, like, Oh, they got to shoot the puck more. You know, we get it, Pierre. We got it. Yeah. So, you know, they mailed it in. Um, but yeah, oh, ter- terrible. I'm I'm you know, so g- I'm I'm glad NBCSN or NBC lost their their uh their rights. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, so anyway, a reset here. It's a split deal now between the ABC ESPN group and TNT has the other as the other set here. So the years that TNT has the cup. It's going to be exclusively on TNT. No like, broadcast option for that. ABC ESPN the cup obviously air I got I'm sure I got both at that point. I thing I'm most fascinated by with this deal is obviously, you know how great the inside the NBA is on TNT. Mm-hmm. If they could put some
0: of hockey show together like that, that'd be so much fun. Well, I think that's why this deal is so important. I don't think NBC and I do actually like a lot of the, the um, commentators and, and the, the play-by-play. I mean, Doc Emmerich play-by-play play for NBC. I do like the personalities. Their intermissions and their postgame shows, they didn't have anything outside of the games that had anything to do with hockey. Like, the only time you saw hockey on NBCSN or NBC was if there was a game. There was no specials about anything. There was no, like, you know, they have inside the NBA. There's no inside NHL. There was not really anything there that you could watch to learn about hockey other than, well, the games on our channel. And I think that hurt the NHL poor, very, very badly. The only programming we saw was just post-game, pre-game, and game. It could be wrong. There could have been something thrown in there, but I I didn't see it. Having TNT and ESPN will help the NHL if the networks do it right. If ESPN continues to treat like NHL is not an important sport, because I'll never forget this. I forgot the guy's name, but he literally came on, and they were talking about something. He goes, no one cares about the NHL. What are we talking about that for? If that's going to be the narrative on ESPN – then we're in trouble. The NHL is in big trouble. If they're just doing it for money or whatever, we're definitely in trouble. But if TNT decides to take it, and ESPN decide to take it seriously and go, okay, let's build this into a product. Let's let's a make money and also build popularity around this sport. I think this is a huge, huge, huge shift for the NHL, and I think it's way better off than NBC, which had nothing. You know, I mean, look at it. TNT and ESPN are usually in your basic cable packages. You don't have to really pay extra for much for them, right? NBCSN, you got to pay extra for that. Yeah, and that's where most of the games were, unless it was the Stanley Cup final. So how are how are people seeing this unless they're spending the extra money?
1: Yeah, good point. And I do think also a thing that's going to help is I feel like this is also things for content. They have these streaming servers. They want to get content for them, so they will put more effort into the NHL, especially. ESPN with ESPN plus they already do my friend of the podcast Ross Greenberg has done like the Rosa Stanley Cup like doc like docuseries for them for right. years and I think you'll see more stuff like that coming up and TNT will have the winter classic may they bring yeah. back the Rosa the winter classic series in some form I think they there are options here for the program to be better
0: oh there's 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 a lot of options um what I don't like is that streaming rights well, this is a New York problem. I don't know if it happens all over the country. You know, if I want to watch something on my phone and I don't have MSG Go, I yeah. can't watch on ESPN Plus because Dolan's like, nope, blackouts. You can't yeah. watch it unless it's on my network. Yeah. Um, which is a real pain in the butt because I pay for ESPN Plus. Um, but the other thing too is like when TNT goes and streams, you have to get HBO Max. Yeah. So that part I don't like because there's just wait, We're just oversaturated with these streaming services. There's like 80 different streaming services now. So you're like, well... There's no TNT. Is there a TNT go? I don't even know. But if they get exclusive streaming rights for HBO Max and I'm out and I can't watch the game, I'm not going to pay for HBO Max to watch, you know, the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Murray's spending enough money on whatever. So that might hurt a little bit. That might hurt them a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, I think they're still in a better position
1: i do think so too pete you're gonna stick around right we're gonna do clone wars next our buddy nick oh, yeah. nick Freya, the sky guys that's gonna come up right after this we're gonna have our bumper to te- tease you about season four of the clone wars
0: anakin takes another step down a dark path critical battles advance the conflict darth maul returns seeking revenge all of this said more as the Sky Guys are back to recap Season 4 of The Clone Wars. All right, we are
1: back here, all back together. We spoke to both Nick and Pete separately on this podcast. Now we're back together talking Clone Wars Season 4. Back with me again, sticking here, I'm talking more hockey, Pete Considori. Pete, how are you?
0: Oh, I'm I'm doing fantastic. I'm riled up, but I'm doing fantastic.
1: Yeah, also back on here, Nick Freyetta is back. Nick, fun talk about the schedule. Now we're back into your wheelhouse here at The Clone Wars.
2: Yeah, I mean, I love football, but it's not—it's not Star Wars, so I'm more excited to talk about this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we are talking about season four today at Clone Wars. We have watched that. We are also going to dive into the premiere of Bad Batch. We watched this one. We are recording for those of you who are watching the video version. We're recording on Cinco de Mayo, so unfortunately, we forgot the margaritas. But we are—we did watch some Star Wars. We watched the Bad Batch. So we're only premiere. We'll keep track of the rest of the show as we go. But I'm going to put the spoiler warning up early because i'm i'm sure people are going re- to checking out the bad batch so if you do not want bad batch spoilers we will tell you again when to get out and watch the show but we're gonna do clone wars first season four pete i want to start with you Some of you who just finished the season as a literally the day before we records you finished on star wars day so what do you think about season four
0: so so you guys should be proud of me i didn't f- finish the day of recording i finished the day prior and actually mike i beat you to watch bad batch yep. so shame on you anyway <laughs> no season four phenomenal i i you know i think the, the the show is actually really picking up at a good pace i think it's the writing is a little more concise i think the writing is a little bit better with telling a story throughout the whole season and we don't have all these like choppy little story arcs there are different story arcs in the season but it kind of almost all seems like they're together now and instead of being all over the place uh really excited for season five yeah
1: nick how about you i feel like i agree with pete I, and i talked about this off the air i feel like one of the big things i noticed is that like as we said they the story arcs flow together more as opposed to what they were doing before where we had continuity mistakes where one episode zero the hut's in prison the next he's out and so on and so forth so what do you think about this season
2: it's just, it's better in every way. Storytelling's better. Animation's better. the Audio's crisper. Everything's better. And I'm sure that a lot of that has to do with the budget being higher, but it's just a better show. And it's getting it's getting to the point now, we're right at that point now where it's at its peak. I think season five is the peak of the show, and I think we'll see that. But, you know, we'll talk about season five next time, but with season four, it, they did a great job. and I, I think, you know, we'll get to our... We'll get to our rankings later, but I, I think we're all going to have the same ranking when it comes to this one, at least.
1: Yeah, I think we agree with that. Let's talk about some of the major arcs. This season, I think, obviously, we'll we'll deal with some of the beginning ones later. The Droid arc is still one of the worst I've ever seen, but that's a whole other problem. But I think the season as a whole picks up for me with the arc on Umbar, which is a very big storytelling choice for them because the, epi- the arc starts. It's a big battle for the for the uh, Clone Wars. We are on Umbar, it's dark planet and anakin is there with his legion at the start of the episode but he gets called away by halpatine we get our very first dark jedi and we get the clones themselves led by rex being the stars of the show for four episodes and it turns out that the jedi general krell is basically turning to the dark side and he's being more ruthless he's pushing the troops I thought it was a showcase arc for Rex, and I thought it was a big step for the show where it says, hey, we don't need Anakin here. We can still tell good stories. What do you think about that, Pete?
0: Yeah, no, I think you you summed it up pretty nicely, where we don't need those main characters to be able to to storytell. Um, Rex, huge, huge season for Rex, in my opinion, just from that story arc. Um, Krell's just an ass. Excuse my language. He's just <laughs> he's just he's terrible. I you know, I, I kind of smelled something fishy from the beginning with him just how reckless he was, you know, not to use the clones words, but how reckless he was and just telling them, yeah, you just got to go straight into battle. Like, don't worry about it. Like we're going to lose people. No worries. Like it just, it was too, too obvious in my opinion, that he was not for the clones. Um, Granted, there are some, probably some Jedi out there, or even some people that were fighting for the Republic, that think clones are clones. They don't have really any kind of personality or any kind of worth in life. Rex comes out huge in these episodes. And it was a really, really good four episodes. Uh, I believe it was four, right? Yeah. So um, the arc has a lot of ups and downs, a lot of conflict that the clone troopers, Rex and his squad have to get over. And they do it without the Jedi. They prove that they don't need the Jedi to be able to fight. They fight alongside the Jedi. The Jedi are their generals, but it really puts power and control and uh probably a better word for it. The strength shown in those clone troopers this season
1: yeah nick i think one thing is interesting about rex's arc in that like, in that little four episode in arc is like he basically starts that arc as saying hey you know the jedi gave the orders we follow them we don't question it and then some of his own mess especially fives who shows up here as the arc commander for this group and he says hey like this is wrong we sh- like he doesn't care about us he's being reckless and take our advice i think the thing we see here is that rex finally realized like hey like if an order is wrong i like, don't have to follow. We can." think for ourselves. A I think it's a big step for those characters.
2: Yeah, I think this is a huge step for the clones because I think the last three seasons and even even the first half of this season and in the movie as well, they're trying to show you that clones are not just dispendable or you know, dispendable. They're not they're not interchangeable. They're all unique. And, and, and it didn't really hit at first. The first couple seasons, they're trying to get that message across to us that it's not hitting. And it's just like, uh, to me, they're all the same still. The first time I got any sort of feeling that they're different is that episode, I believe it was a season three premiere where they all had to work together. Remember that one? Yeah. And this is like where we finally see that they're not expendable, and they're all, they do think for themselves. And I think that Krell represents a newcomer to the series. He represents a person who's only seen the movies because to him, all the clones are dispensable. Their job is fight and die. And you don't care about anything else. And people who watch this show and now us being far enough into the show as we are, we see the clones, not just as fight and die. And that's exactly what it's like. They're trying to represent that. He's like the stubborn fan who goes, this is a cartoon. I'm not watching this. And well, look what happened.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great point. I also think the character of Krell is also interesting because he is not like a straight... I mean, obviously, he comes off as an ass throughout the throughout the, the arc. He is, at the end, he reveals that he basically has given up the Jedi away. He thinks that they are not trying hard enough to win the war. I think the interesting thing with him, Pete, is that, like, Krell is not your typical, like, mustache, twirly bad guy this, ser- this franchise likes to use where it's very obvious that they're bad, like... The relevant points of the clerk can say, you know, he's got his methods. He has great results, so maybe we should trust the prize here. So there's a little bit of gray with Krell before he gives you that reveal. I think is interesting.
0: Oh, it's very interesting. I, I think that when you have something that has that much gray area, it leaves the you know it leaves everyone kind of hanging, right? It kind of leaves you saying, okay, well, what what exactly uh, is going to happen? Is is he is is he still good? Like if he loses all these men, are they going to win this part of the war, this battle? to me as someone who watches a lot of film and watches a lot of shows, I kind of like, like I said before, I kind of saw something coming. I was like, this doesn't seem right for like the Jedi. Um, even the, even the people that like, don't consider clones to be human or whatever, don't act this reckless again, not to use the clones words. Um, so I kind of saw something coming. I just didn't know it was going to be that turn that he just was like, I don't believe in the Jedi ways anymore. You guys aren't doing the right thing. Um, big win. For the clones those episodes though big win with it you know they they were able to to win the battle and then also apprehend a jedi yeah great stuff and
1: nick i know you're a big krell defender so give, tell you a little why you think krell's a good character
0: I, no
2: as a defense i, I did mention to you I, I agree he's mean he's a bad person but i just feel like it was good for the show if that makes sense yeah not that i like him and i support what he's doing i just feel like he would never get an LVP vote for me because I feel like what he did in the show was was good and worth it. He's not like the investigator guy who was just like, "What are you doing?" He I, like he he was obviously not nice to the clones. He was a bad person. He was I'll say it too. He was an ass. But he's he he was written well.
1: Yeah, he was written very well. I think this arc as a whole was written very well. I think another good big arc I want to touch on here, I think, is one that takes the turning point of the whole series, a key point, the arc where Obi Wan goes undercover as the bounty hunter, where we begin. I think it's episode, it's four episodes. We start episode fifteen. We see Obi Wan die. We find out it's a plot that the Jedi have come up with to have him infiltrate a ring of bounty hunters to find out who's trying to kidnap Palpatine. And I think this arc was so much fun because. We see Obi Wan try and go undercover, literally in the body of a bounty hunter. They do some like basically their version of polyjuice potion, turn him into the bounty hunter who did put the hit, who actually put the hit on him, and he goes hangs out with Chad Bane and one other bounty hunter for a solid stretch episodes. I think this arc is fun because it, a gives us a lot of Obi Wan, and b and I told this to Nick off air. I don't know if it mentions you, Pete. And Nick has mentioned this podcast. When is the point in the plot where Palpatine decides this is where Anakin? is my guy it's no longer count dooku i think it comes in this arc pete did you spot this
0: um i i did yeah i did um the reason why i did is because he puts a lot of faith in anakin when he needs bodyguards or when he needs uh when the emperor excuse me uh, the chancellor needs um some sort of protection because they do think someone's going to take him and i believe if i'm if I'm remember correctly one of the scenes he was like i don't need all you guys i have anakin it's fine he's my you know he's my bodyguard that's all i need um and i think being able to be alone with anakin to speak freely not against the jedi but like almost like the chancellor always did is like they don't trust you they don't do this i just think that's more of like behind the scenes of of the chancellor grooming him to try to to try to join him i think the chancellor at this point knows count dooku and general grievous is not the answer it's anakin um so definitely one of my favorite arcs. Um, Racco Hardin, I believe the bounty hunter's name was. Yeah. Um, Obi Wan Kenobi does a fantastic job as a villain. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it's hard for the good guy to be the villain. Sometimes it comes off awkward. If you ever watch that in a show or a movie, this was really, really good. Really, really well played by the character Obi Wan, um, and honestly, it it gives a really big insight into how the separatist bounty hunters or excuse me, the separatists are not bounty hunters, the bounty hunters really run their business and how how they run their jobs. Um we get a little bit of that too um later on in the Bad Batch, but this was this was a nice insight in that.
1: Yeah. Uh Pete, the the moment I'm mentioning too, I'll i t- I'll toss the to nick about this is like in the fight in episode eighteen, the end of it when they follow the plot and it turned out to misdirect, Count Duca was on the boo trying to kidnap Palpatine. they had the fight. And at one point, like Anakin has Dooku on the run, he has basically shoving a lightsaber through a chair, and the camera cuts to Palpatine for about th- like two seconds. If you're not looking quick, you'll miss it, and you see this look on his face where he's like, "Ooh, this kid's like onto something. I could definitely use this kid." And Nick, I think this is the moment where the the plot flips and where he says, "Okay, this is I'm going only on Anakin being my apprentice."
2: I I agreed with you, and when you said it, and now. I started doing some research for today's recording before and I was, you know, kind of studying up and I don't agree anymore. I think this entire arc was set up by Palpatine to be kidnapped on purpose so Palpatine would take him, excuse me, so Anakin would save him. I think Palpatine made his mind up before this and set this up. And I think the look on his face is more of a, I was right, more than a surprised view on Anakin beating Dooku. And another thing to point out about this arc is another time the Jedi leave Anakin, and not just Anakin, the other Jedi, in the dark. And it's just more and more convincing why he would feel portrayed in episode three. And it is not portrayed well enough in the movies at all. And now we see it. But another thing I, I just enjoy is, I don't know if you have noticed, episode two, Anakin fights Dooku and he gets demolished. There's, he, he, I don't even think he touches him. Episode 3, he crushes him, or, you know, vice versa. And every time they fought in the show, Anakin gets a little bit better against him to the point where it's like slowly showing that Anakin's becoming more powerful.
1: Yeah, Pete, that's a great point also. I do think Nick brought up a great point about Anakin continually losing faith in the Jedi. to keep like leading out of plans. And Yoda tells Mace Windu, hey, we have to leave Anakin out of this because we have to sell the point that Obi-Wan is actually dead. Because Anakin's reacts to what sells the Bounty Hunter, so they go after Bracka Hardeen to bring him into the crew. So I think it's a bad miscalculation by the Jedi's part. Yoda even admits they said, hey, we should have told you this. And I think this is just another sign that the Jedi never really understood what they were getting into with Anakin. You,
0: you know, I've said this before, I don't know, on this podcast, and I'll say it again. I think the Jedi Council is directly responsible for Anakin going to the dark side. I think that if anakin was shown the respect and the trust that he probably deserved i think that maybe he wouldn't be so quick to receive that respect and and that maybe praise from someone who was a who was a sith lord granted there was a lot of other factors like you know his wife was going to die during childbirth and he kept seeing these visions and all this different stuff the the funny part is is that if he was trusted and he didn't get uh swayed by the dark side because he wasn't trusted Padme wouldn't have died it was Anakin's fault all along again big spoiler alert if you guys haven't really seen the movies but I- i'll say it again the jedi council is directly responsible for him going to the dark side and that, that- that's my hot take that's my uh,
2: i agree i think more <laughs> that's my that's my take
0: there
2: i completely agree i think more specifically mace Windu
0: oh yeah oh big time but, he's yeah the whole, big, the, he's whole the whole
2: council but mace yeah. especially
0: he is a he is a big big person who was who was skeptic on Anakin. He really did not like Anakin for some reason or another. Um, I don't know if we'll find out in this show what exactly he did to really get that trust to be broken. Um, you know, maybe because he was an outspoken Padawan and he kind of didn't follow the rules, and that's why the Jedi Council didn't like him or trust him with stuff. But he, you're right, Mace Windu was was the sole sole person that was probably the most rough the most hard on anakin when it came to that
2: have you ever heard the i don't know if it's a saying or whatever it is but have you ever heard that like if it skips a generation and like if your grandpa if your grandparents are alcoholics your parents are not then you are kind of thing yeah it almost kind of goes with qui-gon and obi-wan and anakin qui-gon was against the council the council didn't like him obi-wan followed by the book followed everything and they loved him and then anakin was next kind of feel like that was kind of the way with them
0: it's a good observation
1: yeah, it's also a wonder, considering that Qui Gon has died in episode one, you have to wonder maybe if Qui Gon is still alive and training is something that could be avoided because he says, hey, like, in case in the, the respect to sort of balance, like the line where he can, you know, walk the line like, and get the counselor's back while well, still be able to
0: do his own thing. That's a line Obi Wan never was able to help him, like, cross properly. You know, I have a question for you two about this. Why hasn't Obi Wan stepped in at all? Like, I'm sure Obi-Wan sees how they treat Anakin. Like, you'd think Obi-Wan would be like, hey. Like, instead of, like, the whole, like, oh, they're the Jedi Council, they know what they're talking about. Like, I understand Obi-Wan's by the book, but, like, where was the support from his master, too? Yeah. I
2: think that's another reason that he goes off the rails. And Obi-Wan is, is I love the character, but he's too by the book. I've never seen him disagree with anything. Like, he's always... As, as good as can be and maybe that's maybe that'll change in his series i'm excited for that
1: yeah i definitely agree with that point as well because obi-wan seems like because he's seen in episode one when he's being trained by like Qui- qui-gon he disagrees a lot what qui-gon does and he says you know what like i i'm gonna not do what my master did and i got my master killed so i'm gonna be by the book i trust the jedi's wisdom and he doesn't see that like sometimes his own padawan needs like that supporting hand to say hey you know what you have a point as opposed to listen to the council. They have wisdom. And I don't think that's what Anakin wants to hear all the time.
0: Uh, spe- especially with, with his track record with the council. Yeah. I think that just makes matters worse.
1: Absolutely. does. I want to get to the other big arc of the season. And we were teased about this in episode three in season three. We get it here. Darth Maul is back. We find out that he somehow manages to survive. They Bas- basically just survives on his hate for Obi-Wan. This fuels him. Getting to this garbage planet where he like uses spider legs to like lay. We see he's driven insane, driven himself insane in the ten years between episode one and where we are in the Clone Wars. And I think it was a lot of fun getting him back and the dynamic between him and Savage and how they were tag teaming to like go after Obi Wan at the end of the season. That was a very fun arc to go through, Nick.
2: Yeah, I I, I want to say a little tacky the way he was like he brought he was he's left alive because of hate. But not a big deal. I don't really mind. It was a little tacky, but no big deal. But a lot, a lot of fun. The arc. I don't know. Do you count that as a four episode arc or a two episode arc? I really, the first two are kind of not really related. They're kind of they
1: get tied in at the end. So I'll say like yes. I, I said the main the main two is those last two episodes.
2: Yeah, but there's a lot of fun seeing him like look for him, you know, and you know what he's looking for, but there's something in the back of your mind that's just like, can it really be? Can it really be? I, especially if you've never did I mean, at this point we all know mole's alive we know he's in everything pretty much solo and, and whatnot but it, it's a really interesting arc and it's just it i guess that was the first if i can remember correctly that's got to be the first one because that had this happened this this season aired about 2011 2012 yeah so this was the first of the many people that they bring back. You know, they bring back everybody. No one's really dead anymore in Star Wars. You know, Palpatine's walking around still. Boba Fett's still around. Everyone's still around. But this is like the first one. And that was, that's kind of, I guess that, you know, they're kind of less of a surprise the more you go on. But this was like the big, wow, I can't believe it's Darth Maul. And when when he goes and they fight Obi-Wan and he teams up with Ventress, I mean, that's like, I noticed, yeah, Pete, you had said early in the series that the, the lightsaber fights were like, too out of control and I feel like they're not anymore.
1: Yeah, Pete, what'd you think about that 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 two episodes spin for Maul coming back and that's the, the, the four-way battle between Maul, Survive, Ventress, and Obi-Wan?
0: Yeah, to talk about the battle since Nick just brought it up, I definitely better choreography in my opinion. Um it's not too unrealistic. Yeah. There was a lot of times it's like the movements are just so quick. It's like even a Jedi can't move that fast. But but I have to agree with Nick. Like this this was a, a great representation of a good lightsaber battle like a really good lightsaber battle um i really like the arc and i really 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 appreciate that they made darth Maul insane at first i hate when a character comes out of nowhere and he's like he or she is just the same exact way they were when you left them i mean darth Maul has gone through getting chopped in half he's on this like garbage planet where he has to use these mechanical spider legs he's been alone his best friend's a snake who, like, helps him eat, I would go insane, too. So I'm really, really happy he doesn't emerge this, like, perfect, healthy-minded villain. Because if he did, I'd just be like, that's tacky. Like, you got The, the dude's been living in, like, hell. So I really appreciate that they made him go insane and that they needed... The help of the um, the mother, which again I can't remember her name because there's just so many names I gotta remember. Um, mother Towson. Mother Townsend. Yes, the, it, she helps him remember with the new legs and all that stuff. Um, I just I have to say I really appreciate that arc and I really really like the arc because it brings that nostalgia, kind of like oh look it's it's Darth Maul I thought he was dead so that was really cool to see.
1: Yeah, that was a thing. Nick, I want to get to your point. Also, you said this could be a considered a four-episode arc. I think there's also one another case where the writing sort of sets up here. If you spend two episodes before that, right after the Obi-Wan arc before this one, we spend them with Desai's Ventress where we see her situation get updated where she basically ends up having the nicest get wiped out by Dooku's forces and then she ends up tagging along Boba Fett's bounty hunting crew as in the hunting, bounty hunter life. And then we see her show up in the next episode basically collecting a bounty and then getting involved in this fight. That's the kind of next-level writing that this show has not had to this point where they... Seamlessly tied these two arcs together, though they really shouldn't be.
2: Yeah, I also loved. I don't know if you noticed, she was on Tatooine, and she went to the uh, cantina, the same cantina that Han met Luke, and
1: yeah,
2: that was fun. But yeah, they definitely brought those arcs together, and I think Ventress did a great job this season. And she's one of those characters that I feel like we all know she's not in Episode Three. You know what I mean? So you're, in the back of your mind is, well, is she going to die? Is she going? to, What's going to happen to her? And she just keeps, you know, we're more than halfway into the show now, and she's still there. Yeah, she's still picking. It's kicking. Just interesting. She, people, you know, you're probably looking for her to either die or go away or whatever it may be. And the same with Ahsoka, the same with really a lot of the, a lot of like, I you know Rex could easily just been played into episode three as a clone. But a lot of these characters now we're, we're getting towards the end. I feel like it's a big wonder on people's minds. What's going to happen with them? You know, because they're not in the next movie. And if if look how big Ahsoka is to Anakin's life, where is she?
1: Yeah, we're going to start worrying about that stuff. Let's talk its yeah. specifics now about the season as a whole because there are a lot of arcs here. So, Pete, what was your favorite arc of the season or episode? If you had just a single episode you liked.
0: So I, I want to just go back real quick and retract what I said earlier. I said we saw some bounty hunting stuff in Bad Batch. I just got confused because I watched Bad Batch after the ending episodes yep. of the season. We saw more bounty hunting stuff at the end of the season, not Bad yep. Batch, so I apologize. Um, favorite arc has to be the uh, the the Hard uh, Hardeen arc. Yeah. Um, I think that's a fantastic arc. Um, it's a longer arc. It shows a lot of both sides. It shows a lot of good Obi-Wan can do infiltrating the enemy, um, trying to foil a plan to, to uh to kidnap the emperor, excuse me, Chancellor, he's not the emperor yet. Um, but also it shows how untrusting the council is with anakin and how even untrusting obi-wan is with anakin saying that well if he knows i'm not dead he's gonna foil the whole plan like they just don't even give him a chance um and then you see chancellor palpatine like really looking at him going okay this is this is the guy i'm looking for like I, I see you know you know as nick was saying like i see he can he's I was right. You know, I, I wanted to get this is my plan all along to 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 get kidnapped and he's going to protect me. And and I think that showing both of those sides in one story arc in four or five episodes, I think that's probably the best arc for me.
1: Yeah. Nick, I think my personal favorite is Umbara because I just like the spotlight we got on the clones. They have a really good story with the clones. That was interesting. I, what do you think? What was your favorite arc of the season?
2: It's the last one. Um, I can't wait to see more more and Um, I know I've been saying this a lot on the podcast it seems like I've been saying this every time we come on but this time I mean it and I'm 100% sure of it the reason that we decided to go through and watch Clone Wars and Rebels is because of how good season two of The Mandalorian was and how the Darksaber and Bo-Katan and Mandalore this is it we're running right into it and this arc leads us right into it it's the next time we watch we're getting directly and thrown into that stuff and that's why I love that last arc so much because it sets up Maul and his involvement in that stuff. And I really can't wait to watch that.
1: Yeah. You brought Boca Tan and she does make her debut this season. We did get one episode with the death watch. She's there. She's not, she doesn't take her helmet off, but we do know that she's I, working with uh prey as like the number as basically as number two in that arc. And I think in that single episode, I think it was might've been the only one episode hit of the season. And I think, it was fun just to get the to check-in on the Death Watch. And I think, again, they sh- they show why they are very dangerous.
2: Yeah, and we're going to hear a lot more about them and see a lot more of them in the next season. And I did want to mention this. is We talked about the lightsaber fights getting more realistic. And just an interesting fact that I want to throw out there is that starting in, well, not starting in the last season, season seven, they're not only more realistic, they're motion-captured. So it's like literally like a real fight. Which is I just think really cool because I've noticed. We'll talk about the Bad Batch a little bit later, but I've noticed from seeing the Clone Wars movie to all of Clone Wars to all of Rebels to now the bat to the new Clone Wars season to now Rebels, it's like, yeah, obviously, it's going to get better as time goes on, but it just keeps getting better to the point where the animation is so good, it's like jaw dropping.
1: Yeah, Peter, you have you see Bo-Katan show up?
0: Say that again? Were you happy to see Bo-Katan show up? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, my, my headphones cut in up. out. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was really cool because I was like, oh, I, I know that person. Like Everyone yes. knew that person that watched The Clones and they watched Mandalorian. I had to go the other way. I yeah. was like, I saw The Mandalorian. I know who Bo-Katan is. Now I can see it in Clones. and I go, I, I know that one. I know that one. So um, it was very cool. It's starting to tie things together. Like Nick was saying, like this, this was one of the main points why we decided to do this was because Mandalorian was so good, and there was all these characters that we didn't really – I don't want to say no of, but like some of them, I didn't really know of them. I, it's just like, I don't know who that person is. I don't know who Ahsoka is. I don't know who, um, it was, it was really, really cool to see things tying together like that. All right, let's go to the other direction. Let's go to the worst arcs or episodes of the season. I think,
1: I don't know if we're going to be unanimous, but I'm going to, to say it here. They do not know how to write droid stories. Every droid art they do is absolute garbage. This one was pathetic. I mean, it was a chore to watch those three episodes for c 3 P on R2 of the stars.
2: I think not only I, I agree, but like, how do you write a droid episode? I feel like they just shouldn't have any droid episodes. Forget, like, I don't think that they're doing it wrong or right. They just shouldn't do it at all. It's not going to work. No one cares. If one of the character, one of them can't even talk. Like, what's the point? And PC3, just, just Anthony Daniels talking to himself.
1: Yeah, and PC3 starts a civil war in one of the planets he lands on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, worst arc in my opinion as well for the season. It's hard, like Nick was saying. Like one doesn't talk, and the other one is really, really just boring to listen to. I think, in my opinion, like granted, C three PO, I like him. He's he's an iconic Star Wars character. But, like I don't want to hear three episodes worth of just him talking. Yeah, and he's like com- starting, comedic relief. It, it, it's it. Look, it, I'll laugh. Like I get it. But again, this seemed like a filler. This was like we need to throw something in the middle of the season because we need three more episodes to fill our you know, 20 episode season or whatever it is. So we're going to throw some, you know, C-3PO is going to do some fun stuff and start a civil war and, and all this stuff. It, it just, it, don't be wrong. It's not like it's terrible. Like I'm sitting there going, oh my God, turn it off. Like I watched it. I laughed a little bit, but it wasn't like, if it wasn't in the season, it wasn't going to change anything about the season. So for that reason, we're story arc.
1: I feel like this should have been in season. It's like, if this is not season one, we wouldn't have blinked an eye. If it's season four. You're all this good stuff going on around. It just sticks out like a sore thumb.
0: Oh, hundred percent. Imagine there was one season where it was just C three PO and R two D two.
2: They do would... have a droid. They do have a droid show. Yeah,
0: they do. Oh, I'm definitely not watching that. Yeah,
2: one arc and why? Also, I think, I think it's Lego. I yeah. think it's a Lego show. That would make that make more sense.
0: Yeah,
1: one, one arc. Also, want to mention we didn't touch on it yet. What did you guys think of the premiere arc? The first three episodes we were on Mongkol Mari for on Mon for the first three episodes, and we had we got Ak- the Akbar cameo. We got the fight to. We got the plot too, basically the Separatists try to split the Mon Cala people and have the civil war play their advantage. What do you think of that arc, Nick?
2: I think mean, it's it's classic Clone Wars. You know, mm-hmm. Separatists trying to get in there, split people, take them, and the Republic and Jedi going in there and not letting it happen. It was good action. Story was decent. I didn't mind it. It was just it's classic Clone Wars. It did, it's not that memorable, but it's it was just it wasn't bad in any way. It was just exactly what I expect to see in most Clone Wars episodes that are not like the mall plot, which I, in my mind is the best part of the show.
1: Yeah, Pete, what did you think about the game, the Akbar appearance?
0: Yeah, no, I, I love the Akbar appearance, but I have to agree with Nick. It, it, it was a good arc, but it wasn't anything incredible. Um, typical Clone Wars, like he said. I think it was a nice arc to start with, you know, just ease into the season. Um, if that was the first arc I was watching and I was watching one episode a week, I'd be a little bored. But since you, you know, I binge it, and you can watch all you know, three episodes in about an hour, you get through, and you're like, okay, this is a nice little, little taste, little taste of what's going to be going on. Not terrible, but not the greatest.
1: Yeah, I agree. Let's get to now some of our season tracking stuff. I have our, I'm pulling our tracker right now. We have to update the Padme getting captured tracker. We finally got another one. She gets captured in that premiere arc we talked about. So she's up to five on the
0: series so far, Pete. Yeah she she's 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 a talker isn't she she definitely is she she likes to go in there like i'm gonna talk to them and we're gonna we're gonna fix this whole thing with the separatists and it never works out that way i don't think one thing that she's spoken to anyone has fixed it there's always a fight afterwards yeah she's so at this point it's expected every season she's gonna try to be diplomatic and then there's a fight anyway and that's what's gonna resolve it not her
1: Yeah, basically, she's like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football with the diplomacy. It just never
2: works. (laughs) You can tell. Right.
0: You can tell that she is
2: um, Leia's mother. That's how Leia acted as well. She was always looking for the diplomatic solution.
1: Yeah, that's true. So she's up to five there. You don't have to worry about zero anymore. Zero's dead. So Zero Tracker is dead with him. Yes. Still no Hondo. Hondo is stuck at five appearances. Nick, it's been a while since we've seen him.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll see him again. And then I, I actually think he's a little more prominent in Rebels.
1: So we have to carry this over to Rebels then with us, this Hondo tracker. Yeah, we
2: oh, yeah, I got to carry the Hondo tracker over. And and with Padme, you know, you had mentioned that like the tracker in the beginning. And I was sitting here like, I don't think she gets captured that much. And now I'm watching, I'm like, oh my God, she's always getting captured. <laughs> like every season she's getting captured. Like every- when you first made the tracker, I was like, I don't think that's worth a tracker. It's only going to be like two. And now it's already five after four seasons.
1: Yeah. She gets captured at least once a season. And what we forgot about, but what I actually bring back, we were tracking appearances of the Dark State. So now we have a second one on the board from episode 415 when we had the Death Watch show up.
2: I think that's going to triple or quadruple (laughs) or times 10 in the next season.
1: Yeah. I also proposing we start a Bo-Katan tracker because she's one of the reasons we started this. So I'm going to start the Bo-Katan watch. We have one appearance of Bo-Katan on the board.
2: Like I said, next season is the one.
1: Yeah, so that's that's our trackers right now. We're also gonna get into our MVP LVP standings. So just reset here. So we have the leaderboard right now is Anakin is at the top at plus seven, Obi Wan plus three, Cad plus two, Padme plus two, Ahsoka plus one, Jar Jar Binks thanks to me is in the positive at plus one. <laughs> Mace Windu plus one. Flo Koon, plus one. Savage Press plus one. Count Dooku plus one, rounding out the positives. The negatives Bale Organa, thanks to Pete minus one for saying that for ripping off the new hope line. He had Master Peel minus one. The Writer's Room gets a negative point, thanks to me from last season. Uh, the Father minus one. Tarkin minus one. Luminar and Dooley minus one. Palpatine minus three. And. Tied for dead last at minus four the investigator douche and zero. The hut are minus the four. So
2: I think, nice. I think they're going to stay right there at those two. And I think they're made their final appearances.
1: Yeah. So they are there. And are am going to see if anyone will pass them. We'll we'll see what happens there, but let's go ahead and let's hand out some award here. We're going to go around the horn, start with the MVP. So Nick, I'll go to you first. Who is your MVP for season four? Your first one.
2: Uh, I'll give my first to Obi-Wan. I think Obi-Wan, you know, we talked about the arc numerous times. He did a great job undercover. He He's the follow-of-the-book Jedi and he kept doing it. And he did it. Yeah, like I said, he did a very good job undercover and it was very believable, actually. And as, as Pete mentioned, you see the good guy go bad. It's usually cheesy or it doesn't seem well. It's awkward. It wasn't at all. And it was a great arc. And, You know, finally credit to Obi-Wan because in my mind, he was just there because he was in the movie. So you have to put him in the show and he didn't really matter. But this is the first time that I feel like he actually matters in the show.
1: Yeah, I will follow up. I'll give Wan a point as well because he's a great bounty hunter. He actually sells the fact he's a bounty hunter. Like he manages to do underhanded things without killing anyone, which is maintaining the Jedi code while being a bounty hunter, which is also very impressive. And he earned the trust of Cad Bane, which is not easy to do. So good job, Obi-Wan there. Pete, who's your first MVP?
0: So I'm going to give you my first and second, because my first one is Obi-Wan as well. So for the the interest of content, so it's not just Obi-Wan. So Obi-Wan as well did a great job as a um, villain. Don't like that he kept Anakin in the dark. Again, I think because he was going by the Jedi Council, and he's such a by-the-book guy like Nick was talking about. It makes sense. But I'm going to give him a point. My next MVP has to go to Rex. Has to go to Rex. I think he did a phenomenal job. And the rest of the clone troopers in that squad, Phenomenal job. Not only do they win the battle, like I said earlier, but they also apprehend a Jedi. So it was it was honestly uh you know, kudos to them in this season. All right. So Pete's two MVPs are on the board.
1: Nick, who's your second MVP?
2: My second MVP is gonna go to Chancellor Palpatine. I think we mentioned it. I think he set that entire thing up. And if that's true, that is just genius. And everything that he, every time I seem to rewatch the prequels or any prequel related content, I I look at it and I, I say, wow, he designed all of this. Like you think you just like everything is because of him, the entire war, the council falling apart, Anakin being Vader, the empire's existence. It's all because of Palpatine, even in the sequel movies, it's all because of Palpatine. Everything is Palpatine. This is the Palpatine saga.
1: Yeah. So great job at Palpatine there. I'm going to give one to Rex too. I'm going to back up Pete's point here. I think he does a great job and start staying up to Krell not only following orders. taking Realizing they had a traitor in their midst and taking care of the problem. I'll hand my third out here to make it easy. I'm giving one to Yoda here because Yoda did a very sneaky little move here in that season finale arc where Obi-Wan, let's call it about Darth Maul. He knows Obi-Wan is not going to go, is going to go alone to not risk any civilians help here. So how does he get Obi-Wan help? He puts the hit out on Savage knows that Asaj will find Venture will find it, gets it gets Asaj Ventures out there to help Obi-Wan not get killed. So Yoda gets a very stealthy MVP point from me. I,
0: Yoda I can't do wrong. Did I, did I did I miss that? Did did something say that Yoda put the hit out on Savage or are we speculating that? It's implied very heavily because
1: Yoda Mace Windu says he shouldn't go alone and Yoda's like, he won't be alone or something like that. And Yoda speak. And then when right. he, the next season you go right. to the we go the you go the uh on and Tatooine and decides, picks up the hit and then she goes yeah. so we, we we're led to believe that yo is the one who puts the hit out
0: no so it's, it's a good point that's a good point F- funny to think that yo' just putting out hits. <laughs> <laughs> It's
2: funny to think
1: yeah he did he did the job though he got he got oh we want some much-needed assistance
2: yeah
0: true Pete who's your last MVP so my last MVP I've been I've been flop, you know switching and flip-flopping around a couple people. Um the three people I've been going between are Darth Maul, Ventress and the Chancellor. I'm more inclined to give it to Ventress. And the reason why I say that is because she goes from this separatist assassin to I work for no one helping the Jedi. And I consider that huge character development and I think Ventress has not gotten gotten a lot of credit on this podcast. Um, or probably in general because she is looked at as the villain. But from where she started to where she is now, there has been incredible character development. So I think I'm going to give her the MVP for this. I respect that choice. Very
1: very good choice there. Nick, you have one more MVP to wrap up the club. Where are we going?
0: So I was
2: deciding between two. One of them was Ventress, and I'm not going to go that route. I have to ride the hype train. It's got to be Darth Maul is back. Darth Maul, the character who we were all ten you know eight years old whatever it was in the movie theater and he put out two lightsabers and our jaws dropped that was the best moment we'd ever seen as kids he's back and that is awesome and he had more lines in episode 21 than he did in all of the phantom menace which is funny to think he only had like three lines in the entirety of the phantom menace i think and i just can't wait to see i also don't know if you guys noticed um i'm sure you did but you notice the last two episodes, they had the title card was red instead yeah, of yellow. Yes, yes, that was pretty cool. They yes. do that in the later seasons as well. But that's, I just thought that was awesome.
1: Yeah, I thought it was great, too. I guess I almost thought about giving an honorable mention to Jar Jar once again for impersonating the, the separatist general in there. <laughs> I like, forgot about that. Is that what I get to give him proxy? Because I mean, he did a good job holding off the... Uh, I mean, he fooled uh, Grievous or Dooku, whoever was long enough to to basically stall the invasion, and that was a good job by Jar Jar, who's not exactly a uh, Im-
0: improv specialist. Yeah, I, I I agree. It was a good job. I don't know You like getting Jar Jar or. on the list? Yeah, I, I, he, he, he did not listen, get the. Pl- I wanted Snice on the list, and he she didn't get on the list. So I said you said
1: got an honorable mention. He did not make the list, but he was like number four for me. <laughs> Fine, we'll accept it. We'll allow it. All right, now this is the fun part again. We go to the LVPs, and this is the one last season where I had fun because I, I dinged the writers for one. So I'm going to start with Pete. Who is the first LVP on your board this season?
0: C-3PO. <laughs> C-3PO, the droid episode just kills me. I'm, I'm going to say C-3PO is my first LVP. I don't think there's much more to talk about other than that story arc was just trash.
1: Yeah, he was on my he was on my honorable mention list for inciting a civil war on a planet that he just happened to stump like basically bumblef his way onto. So that's he was, <laughs> he, was a, he was a consideration for me. Nick, who's your first LVP?
2: R two three PO. Just get to give it to three PO for the sake of consistency, but like we
0: really can't, can't do we anything. We should probably do it. We should probably do it as a duo because usually yeah. they're bad when they're together. Like C three
2: PO. R two can't do anything. I mentioned he can't talk, so he can't. It's not yeah. his fault, I guess, but. Three P O. It's just I don't know. It's boring. I don't care. So like the droids they're supposed to be comedic, especially three P O. Comedic relief, like like when Han Solo's finally kissing Leia for the first time, he interrupts, like something like that. He's not supposed to be the centerpiece of the episode.
1: So while we split the baby here, you Pete does C three P O. You do R two D two. They're both hit on the list.
2: I would I would say do it as like a compliment. I would say yeah do the droids and hit them together. So that's yeah. so, so
1: like the like the instead of the writers it's the droids R two three P. Okay, R2PO. so like so the droids are minus two combined.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and I'll, I'll jump in with my second one right away. And it, sad, it saddens me to do this, but it is. I, I'm going to give it to Savage Press because last season it was so hyped to see him because it was like, oh my God, this guy looks like Darth Maul. This is so cool. And this season he's just literally become a figurehead. He's just, he found Maul. Now no one cares about him anymore. I don't care what happens to you. You're the bad Darth Maul. I don't care. Maul, you're the guy. And cool that he found Darth Maul. You know, he, nothing against the character personally, but once you get Maul back into the action, you're just known as Maul's brother.
1: Yeah. Okay, so that's a fair point. With your first two points, I'm gonna get my first LVP. I'm docking Attican at a point here because, again, going back to that episode on Naboo back at the beginning of the season when Jar Jar stalled the invasion, they capture General Grievous an Attica and Attican undoes it because he's impulsive and goes and gets himself caught by Dooku and forces Padme to trade him trade Grievous back for him. So that's one where the entire Clone War flips if they if they capture Grievous and actually keep him as a prisoner instead of taking him back to run the droid army. That's a big point for him against him. Plus, he acts more impulsively throughout the season. We see him lose his cool in the Slave Arc he didn't talk about. He loses cool a lot down the stretch. So, Anakin trained the wrong direction. He gets a negative one for me.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think he, he didn't have a strong season. I'm not giving him an LBP but I, he didn't have a strong season.
0: Alright, yeah. Pete, Who's your second LVP? So, oh, this one's a tough one for me. My 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 second LVP because I forgot the dude's name because I'm terrible at names. Um, who was broken out of prison with uh, Cabane? The the main bounty hunter. I remember I'm trying to remember his name, but yeah, he's just just so whiny. <laughs> just so whiny. Like I thought it was my mission. Just shut up. This is bounty hunters. We're in Star Wars. This is very whiny. He just annoyed me. Lvv point to him. Yeah, I'm gonna try you know, to look. Note, look notice it.
2: how um, with the bounty hunters, I think this was interesting. How like there were like a group of them, especially that whatever this guy's name is, I forget too. They were all believing of what we want, and Cad Bane had a silly suspicion, a sneaking suspicion on him. I thought that like kind of showed that he's that much better and that much more respected of a bounty hunter and a character in general. Or, he's the one who has suspicion. Like, you're not going to get it past him that easily. He's not going to get fooled. He's not just going to get stomped on. And I thought that was very interesting how they're still showing respect to Cad Bane, who we had given some MVP points earlier in, in the series.
1: Yeah, I did look it up, Pete. It's Moralo Eval is the bounty hunter who had the mission taken from him. He was whining the whole arc, so he gets an L- LVP from you. Negative one. All right. I, I'm going to piss Nick off with this one. I'm giving Cad Bane an LVP for this for this season. Oh, and I, I, have a specific, I have a very specific reason to point to for this. This is the second episode of the arc. After they break out of prison, they go to... I forget what planet they go to to try and restock on supplies. Cad Bing is in the shop. He's looking for the hat. And Obi-Wan, is, as the bounty hunter, says, Hey, don't buy that hat. Like You're going to get noticed. And he's like, I need to wear this hat. This is great. And then as soon as Ahsoka and Anakin land on the planet... They spot Cad Bane. And, and, and Anakin's like, is that Cad Bane? Ahsoka says, yes. Only he would be obnoxious enough to wear that hat. So for the fact he literally got himself almost caught and blew the whole mission out of hat, he's getting an LVP. I,
2: I think he, he was a much... This is sound crazy, but I actually feel this way. He's a much weaker character that's hat. I really believe that. Yeah. I, I really think his hat makes his personality. And him without it just made him look like another one of those aliens.
1: But at the same time, Nick... He almost blew the mission over the hat.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I understand. I just think he's cool. Yeah.
1: I just think if you're a bounty hunter, you've got to be smarter than that. Uh, let's go to uh, P. I'll go. i should go to Nick here. Give me your last LVP. I
2: was struggling with this one because I, I had four MVPs and I had two LVPs and I was very confused on what to do here and I landed on Dooku. I think Dooku seems really weak in the Ventress role where he's going all out attacking on them. Maybe that's just how the Sith work. You know, like when someone wrongs them, they just go all out attack and try to kill them and whatnot. But I feel like he he seems very weak in the way he's going after Ventress like that. And then also he, I think he kind of lost the fight to Anakin, the lightsaber battle. And I feel like Dooku's, you know, that's not like a bad writing thing on the character, like for the writers or anything on the show. I just feel like the character's not as strong as he was.
1: Yeah, it's certainly fair. Pete, who is your last LVP? I'm,
0: I'm going to give this one to Padme. I have an honor, honorable mention too, but I'm going to give it to Padme because I'm just so tired. I'm so tired of her saying, like we talked about, yeah, I can go talk to them. We could fix this. Like, no, you can't fix anything with the separatists by just talking to them. You can't. It ain't going to happen. And she hasn't learned that in four seasons. Like, come on be I mean, fair it, she, it, it bothered me a little bit so I'm, I'm gonna give her a minus one be fair to her it did almost work
1: once she also ended the clone war by talking one time but every other time it has blow up in her face
0: yeah who so. is who is the honorable mention by by the way for you um all of the random like no screams that that uh maul and and Savadro pressed for some reason this every time they got angry they just did like that cliche yell that, that's an LVP for me. So that
1: would have been basically back on the writers. Then it would have been a minus two. For the uh,
0: writers. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go for the writers then. Yeah, just every five seconds, every time uh, Savaggio pressing gets away, he's like, ah. I'm like, OK, we don't we don't need it.
1: So, so to clarify, you're giving it to you're giving it to Padme, not the writers.
0: Yeah, Padme is the real LVP and the writers is the honorable mention. All right. So I have an on honorable- that for that yeah. reason alone. The rest yeah. of it was written pretty well. That reason alone, I give the honorable mention to the writers. OK,
1: so my honorable mention here is Lee Char from the Mon arc because he has the brilliant idea that he's going to inspire his people by swimming into a prison filled with separatist guards and droids. That's extremely stupid. That should get you on the LVP board, but it did not. He got an honorable mention. The uh, the LVP who was, I mean, he was number one on my LVP board was Lux from the death watch arc because he had this brilliant idea that this group, Call themselves the Death Watch of this honorable organization that was going to live up to their word and not screw them over, kid. Do your damn research. Know who you're getting into bed with if you're trying to pull off an assassination assassination plot here. So, big time LV points the energy to Lux here for having no idea who he's getting himself into.
2: Now we know what we're getting ourselves into with the with the Death Watch, and that's very exciting for season five.
1: Yeah, I think it is very exciting for season five, and we'll get to that in a minute. I think. To close out the rank, the ranking business, we're all in agreement. Season four, number one on the list so far, the season rankings.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent.
1: So, so right.
2: My only, my only complaint with season four is that if, if the second half didn't happen and it was only the first half, I don't think it was a strong season. The Second half was really, really good. The first half was. I mean, the second half has. I've the. If I'm remembering this correctly,
1: I think it's the. So you do, I think it's the you first. Have. Um, I think it's the, the first third is the problem. Like once you get past the Droids, I it gets really
2: good. Yeah, you get the Umbara arc, but you get the um, the Obi-Wan arc and the Darth Maul arc to end the season. That was strong. Yeah. All right, so
1: so that's, so that's the season ranking right now. Season four is on the top. Two and three are still tied right behind it. We have not broken that tie yet. We'll figure. leave that one for another day. Then season one, then the movie.
2: Fair. Yeah, I think three suffered, as I mentioned, in the way that four didn't. Maybe there were the same amount of good episodes in four as there were in three, but they ordered them right in four, so it left us with a nice taste in our mouth at the end. And in three, it should have ended with Darth Maul not make us wait a season and a half to see it.
1: Okay, that's fair. But so I don't,
2: but, they, but it didn't happen, so too bad for season three. All
1: right, let's spend a few minutes on The Bad Batch, and again, if you have not seen it yet, go watch the episode. If you care about being spoiled, come back. And I will say, guys, I love this. This was so cool. I love the the fact that, like, you could jump right in here without even finishing Clone Wars. They gave you the hint that hey, this is a Clone Wars off. We had the narrator in there. We had a, It was a really good story they told with us with the Bad Batch. Pete, instant thoughts on the Bad Batch from here.
0: Uh, I think it was really good. Um, hour and 15-minute episode didn't feel like an hour and 15 minutes, which is always great. Um, that kind of tells you how good the episode was in my eyes. Um, I do like that they had that Clone Wars spinoff kind of feel with the same exact narrator and it had that kind of feel as well because you are talking about clones. What I really appreciated was seeing what happened, and this is a a spoiler alert for everyone that hasn't uh, seen this. Um, It's nice to see how this Bad Batch reacts when Order 66 is put into place. It gives you that behind-the-scenes look of what's going on and what exactly was told to... The clones. I mean, when we watch the movie, when we watch episode three and order sixty-six is performed, you just see the clone turn around and shoot the Jedi. And just there's no explanation to it. It's just like execute order sixty-six, and all of a sudden the clones are just, you know, we don't like you anymore. You, you guys are are the bad guy. We're gonna we're gonna turn on you. Bad batch is, is starting to show like we're gonna change the republic to an empire. The Jedi are being treasonous. You should not trust them anymore. So it shows how manipulative the Emperor is, and it's not just some sort of – granted, it is the chip inside them that makes them change, but it's not just this like automatic assumption that, okay, the chip activates, that's it, do what you have to do. But there's also that manipulation to, to rise with the Emperor against Jedi and and what's going to be later on, the Rebellion.
1: Yeah, Nick, also I mentioned here, you mentioned it several times here when you get to season seven of Clone Wars, the last four episodes basically is occurring simultaneously with episode three. So it feels like I'm basically like you're watching a movie here. It sort of the same kind of feel in that sense where like we're seeing what happened to the Bad Batch at the end. Like through episode three, see Palpatine's speech at one point, very portrayed to the clones on Camino. We see how they react to Order 66. I thought that was a very effective way to just throw us writing something familiar to us if, if you watch the movies.
2: Yeah, I, I thought this was fantastic. First of all, I have to say, the animation was jaw-dropping. It was amazing. I was in shock of how good it looked, especially at the beginning um, when they had the Padawan and the Jedi killed on the snowy planet there. The animation was, like, unbelievably good. But, like, as Pete said, it's nice to see a clone's point of view on this. You do see more of that in the last season of the Clone Wars, and we'll get there. But... It was really fantastic. And spoiler alert for all you guys, I had mentioned this before to you guys off the air, but the Padawan who escapes there is the main character, maybe second main character of Rebels. And that's awesome to see his backstory. Now, if you get, if you look a little deep into this on the internet, you'll see a lot of people complaining about this because he had a comic written about him and in the comic. And in this episode, it does not really match up. There's a lot of things that are different on what happened and people are kind of complaining about that, how, it's not a continuity. Both these things are considered canon, but the same thing didn't happen. But, you know, I, I didn't read the comics, so I don't really care. It's, to me, it was really cool to see his backstory and see it live in person. And, you know, we saw a lot of characters in this too. Like, we see him, you know, his name is Kanan or Caleb in the show, Kanan and Rebels. We see we see Tarkin, and Tarkin has a big role too. He's not just in a scene. Tarkin's a big character. We see the Emperor, of course. And then we see Saul Guerrero, yeah. which is awesome too. And and I've mentioned this a lot of times. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it to you guys or on this podcast, but this is an era of Star Wars that we know nothing about. We have a lot of content between th- episode three and episode four. We have row One, we have Solo, we have the sh- whole show of Rebels. We have, did I say Solo?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep, we have Solo, we have all that. But all that stuff takes place closer to episode four. So like the, the immediate time right after Order 66, right after episode three, We have nothing for like five to 10 years. So we don't, so we do know, for example, at least I know that the empire that we see in the original trilogy, they don't use clones. They use human soldiers. And anyone who's not a human is considered an enemy of the empire. That's why everyone who works for the empire is humans. All the clones are, or the stormtroopers are humans. But in episode three, that wasn't the case. You have clones, you have all sorts of alien races in the Republic, and we don't see where that changed. And now we're seeing it right in front of us. We're seeing the... the It was called the Empire after episode three, but it was basically just a Republic, but evil. Now we're seeing it become that Empire. We're seeing how a Tarkin has that test for the clones. It's We're seeing that unfold in front of our eyes.
1: Yeah. Why did you... I mean, I thought that was very cool with Tarkin in there. Saw her. I, I know he pops up a couple other places. We're just, I'm sure we're going to see him soon on, on Clone Wars itself. So I think I'll be interesting to see more about him down the road. But I think... It was cool to see how, like, and the, he, the show basically like told you, and you did not have to watch the season seven article they introduced to know more about bad. Basically, the, you, they tell you good job telling you, hey, these are guys, they have unique defects. This sort of made them like not susceptible to the chip that commands you to do order 66. So they at least were questioning, why are we doing it as opposed to the other clones. We're blindly following the normies as they, as they call them and said, "Hey, like, Or 66, shoot the jet. Jag- okay, Whereas the hunter and all of them were like, why?" Why are we doing this? Except for Crosshair, who is the one clone who's sort of very eager to follow the orders. I thought know you can see how they were sort of navigating this, how, how Tarkin tries to set them up for basically prove that they're useless by sending them out to assassinate like Saw Gerrera's group. And we get the turn at the end where uh, Crosshair ends up becoming the enemy of the main group because he gets basically his chip like, re-triggered and he becomes sort of Tarkin's like, one hand assassin trying to kill the rest of the bad bad. So Nick is somebody who's watched them. What do you think of that decision?
2: Well, the first off I'm thrilled that they did that right away, because if you watch the two trailers, it's pretty obvious he's going to turn on them. He's not in the second trailer, the way he's acting in the trailer. I thought it was like, Oh no, is this whole season going to be about him turning on them? The fact that they did it in episode one makes me feel like, all right, good. Well, you know how you go to a movie and, you, and you've seen the trailer already and you're hoping that the trailer isn't like the big moments and they get that out of the way in the first 20 minutes and then you're like, okay, now for the rest of the movie. I'm going to be surprised. I'm not going to know what's happening. So that's basically what we got here and I was really thrilled to see that because now I don't know what's coming at us next. But I do have a, a huge question that maybe is an easy answer. I don't know. You know the, the girl, Omega? Yes. I just don't understand. How is she, is she a Django Fett clone, but female? I don't get how that. How does that work? How, like, how does that work? Like, I don't know how I know, cloning isn't really like real in real life. I mean, I'm sure to an extent it is, but like, is that possible? I'm just, I'm a little confused.
1: Yeah, Pete, what do you think about that? Because when I watched, I started reading as like they were doing a little more experimentation with with clones, and then they came up with her, and she sort of was like a bad batch kind of like clone where she had certain defects, where she had certain abilities that. Make her different than all the normies.
0: So wouldn't all the clones be male if he's a male? That's, just, that's all I'm getting. Maybe different source. Yeah, so my first, my first theory was that they took her from from wherever she's from, and they tried to do experiments on a regular person instead of having to do it with clones. But then they said something about parents, and she was like, "Parents." Like she didn't like understand that. So that made me kind of think maybe she is a clone, um you know, through and through. I don't, I don't know exactly where she came from like if she's a clone of Django fed or if she's a clone of some other powerful bounty hunter or jedi or whatever um that i don't know one quick thing about the clones though that i, I want to point out i don't know if you guys caught this probably did but something i appreciate is, is a lot of the story building that the Clone Wars have done for me for the episodes that we've seen. Between episodes three and four, we have clone troopers turned to stormtroopers, and the stormtroopers are not clones anymore. In the Bad Batch, Tarkin tells the the creators of the clones, "We're not going to need these clones anymore. The war is done. You could stop production. We don't need them anymore." And that, even though it's such a small little scene, it's probably such something small that like people just say, "Oh, he's just being," you know. He's being an ass to these people. Like he just—he's just showing all that. Like the war is won. We don't need any reinforcements. And and the and the woman's like, no. He, he, uh, the prime minister's like, you kind of do need reinforcements to keep this whole empire running. You need any troops? Like, no, 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 we got it. It's nice to see that—that's where it ends, or at least that's the beginning of the end, where it comes to clone production. Because you go from like Nick was saying, clone troopers to just regular humans that become stormtroopers, and I like that connection.
1: Yeah, I also want to point, pick on the Omega thread here, Nick. I think it's interesting is we get the scene at the beginning of the episode Hunter where he fails to help out the Padawan and help fails to help out Caleb, and he ends up running away and, and not helping him out. And here at the end, he says, we have to go back and help Omega. She's one of us. And I think it's very interesting that you see that development from him saying, like, hey, like, we're not just colonial followers. This is wrong. Like, this kid's one of us. We need to protect her. I thought that was a good character development moment for Hunter.
2: Yeah, Hunter did a very good job in the episode, and I'm excited about him for the show. Because in his in their arc in the Clone Wars, they're all very forgettable. He knew there was the leader, the what do you call him, the right record? What would you call the muscle? Yeah, the brains, and then like the sniper. You know what I mean? And then of course Echo. But like they didn't they didn't really they didn't stick. Like the characters didn't stick to me. Like Hunter was just the leader, and now I'm seeing him as Hunter instead of the leader. Yeah. He did a good job in the episode, and and um, really, really couldn't believe that they brought Saul Guerrero in that early, because it was like right away they're showing sympathy for the rebel for the, well, the rebel alliance is not going to exist for a good twenty years, but for the rebels, you know, the rebels will yeah. come together and make the rebel alliance. That's why it's the alliance because it's like an alliance of rebel forces, but. Saw Gerrera being that early in the show shows like how much against he, how much against the empire he was. You see that in rogue one, how his, his crew were like terrorists because they're that much against the empire, which is awesome to see. I always say that you see the other side of the rebels in rogue one. They're not just the good guys. Like they're blowing, they're blowing things up too. So I thought it was awesome seeing him that early and Tarkin was great too. I really loved it. I thought it was amazing.
1: Yeah. So, I thought it was great to Get both those characters in there. I wanted to like, take a look here because we all know they have special abilities and their defects. Why do you think Omega's is Pete? Any
0: theories on what Omega's like special superpower is here? Um, it seems like she can sense things pretty pretty far in advance. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that maybe you know she's connected to hunter in some way because they they mentioned that hunter has uh some sort of like he his defect is that he can sense things or his experience i could be completely wrong on that um but it seems like it seems like she has some sort of i don't know premonition she, yeah she is, like the whole thing with crosshair she's like oh, well, we're gonna run into some trouble and then crosshair opens think. the doors and that's crosshair so it's like she knows. think about it huh? think
2: about it think about it for a second I mean, I don't know the answer. This is my speculation to it. Think about it for a second. I mean,
0: could she be is Jedi?
2: She, I, that's what I think.
0: Could she be a clone of
2: a Jedi? Is that, that's, is that where... That's, that's, that's what I'm thinking, yeah.
1: And she's using the Force to some sort of degree, you think? No, it, that's it's a that's good, my it's a theory. My theory, theory is she,
2: she can sense things before they happen. I think she's Force-sensitive.
1: I think it's an interesting point, because she also has that scene when they're all in the brig, and she goes to the crosshair and says, you're going to do something bad, you can't help it. And I think that's a very interesting point because she like sort of knew he was going to turn on them before he did.
2: But they they have to be careful because if she is force sensitive and the show is about a mercenary or group of mercenaries protecting a young force sensitive thing from the Empire, you're just remaking the Mandalorian. So they got to be careful that they don't do that because that's the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, it is true. I do think it's interesting because we do have... A different. it's also a different era they're setting, but they don't want to just rinse and repeat, oh, this worked in Mando, let's do this again and have Omega be a Jedi clone.
2: Because that's, like, dangerously close. That's not just, like, oh, there's some similarities. That's, like, the exact same plot.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it is. The I don't only think difference that'll be it. They're not that stupid. They're not yeah, the, the, only the, difference, the only difference will be is not, is, like, you know, it's not, we're looking for this one person and that's it. It seems like it's going to be, the same sort of, hopefully, it's not the same sort of premise. But it's a group of people that are that are against what's going on. Not so much. We want this specific person.
1: I, I think that's a fair point. What you, I think, I think it'd be cool if season one is three sixteen episodes. We'll keep we'll keep tasking this throughout the podcast. We're not going to do weekly coverage of it, but like every time we do a, like a Sky Guy's appearance, we'll check in. What's going on here? I think we're going to see if Crosshair is just our main villain for these guys, and they run into him all the time. We're going to see other sub-villains pop up. I think that's going to be another interesting angle of track.
2: Yeah, I think Tarkin's going to play a big role in the show, but he can't be the main villain because we know he's not going to be defeated.
1: Yeah. Also, the question here is, do we think Darth Vader pops up at some point?
0: Yes. Yeah, I would would say yes as well. Yeah, I think we're going to see him pop up. I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, his,
2: the only thing that worries me is J- James Earl Jones is like, he can't do it anymore. Yeah. So that that's what worries me. Maybe you, you might see him as Anakin in some sort of flashback or something like that. I, it's going to be really hard to see James Earl Jones doing the voice again. He he sounded a little rough in Rebel, spoiler alert, Rebels, and in. Rogue One. I just can't imagine. This is five, six years later now. I don't know. He's getting up there in age. He's got to be in his late eighties. I would think. Yeah,
1: there's also in bunch on social media that the act, the voice actor who played Anakin in Clone Wars, Matt Lanier, said he's coming back in some form. So maybe it's here. He's coming back in some some uh, variation F- of it.
2: FYI, James Earl Jones is ninety.
1: Yeah. Oh, God bless. I mean, we. I mean, you could tell in The Lion King when he was voicing Mufasa again. It was like he's definitely taken, like, definitely gotten up in age, and it's definitely impacted him.
2: Yeah, I think I think we'll see. I do think we will see him at some point. I don't know if we will see him as Vader in costume, speaking a lot.
1: No, I can see. He, I think, I think it could be a good. I think my theory on him is like he's going to show up in the finale. I think he'll, he'll just show up and he won't speak yet, and then they'll figure it out season two.
2: This also could be a way. I mean, the way Star Wars is going now, the last with Mandalorian's big revival of the franchise, you'd really hate for this to be the last time you ever see Darth Vader speak. Yeah. Maybe they bring someone else in. This could be their chance to try it out.
1: Yeah, it definitely could be. There's something... They could do
2: something where you have, like, I don't really know much about this kind of stuff, but I, I know they've done this before. You could bring in James Earl Jones and somebody else and kind of, like, bring their voices together in a way so the transition seems smoother when you just go to somebody else.
1: Yeah, it's something we'll definitely track as the series goes on. But before we wrap up, I want I have a fun little exercise here. I'm going to put the graphic of this in the note, in like on the screen as, the, as you're watching the YouTube version of the video. But we're recording it after Star Wars Day, May the 4th. I, I'll give a shout out to the website. It was, I think, Dorkside of the 4th, one of the fan-sided Star Wars website. They put one of those infographics where you have the groups of characters priced out 15 bucks, Build your light side squad. Again, the group's going to be on the screen. We all came with our own squads here, $15. I will start out with this exercise to give you the light side squad I built. I spent four bucks on two people. I spent, I got Mando and Luke Skywalker. Then I basically brought in Fennec Shan at $3 to give us some shooting. I got and then three $1 picks to round it out. Grogu, R2, and Boba Fett. So I think I got a pretty good squad of it's capable of doing a lot of different things.
2: You definitely went with the rounded approach. I kind of went with the all-out attack approach, where this is the powerhouse team with with five Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So I have, I have five. Go- I went one of each category. I went with Anakin, Luke, Kylo Ren, Mace Windu, and Grogu.
1: You went all in that Skywalker family.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't pick Rey though. I didn't pick Rey. I know you mentioned the Skywalker family. I know she proclaimed herself as a Skywalker at the end of nine. Yeah, but so she. Didn't pick her.
1: Yeah, but we all know she's not a Skywalker. She just she's just saying that because the writer because that would be a net again LVP points to the writers of Episode Nine. But that, that's the whole movie is them screwing up.
2: Yeah, well, I know you had said we we're going to talk some movies at the end of the. In uh, wars. In between Clone Wars, between we'll Clone we'll
1: wars and Rebels, that. we'll discuss the
0: movie. Yeah,
2: we'll get to that. But
0: Pete, what's rough. your what's your squad? All right, so I took Ahsoka for five dollars, and then I decided to take Mando for four, bringing it to nine dollars. Then I took Boba, Rex, and R two D two to get me to twelve bucks, and then I took Bo Katan at three dollars. That's a nice little diverse set of skills there. You got. Yeah, I figured Bo Katan in there just because she she has a, a little little uh, chip on her shoulder because she didn't really get the dark saber the way she wanted to. Yeah, just just a, assuming noticed. that I'm getting I'm getting her while she's still trying to get the dark saber, so. <laughs>
2: Definitely noticed with my squad here that of the five people that I picked, either all of them have turned to the dark side or flirted very closely with doing so. Yeah. So my team might be a little dangerous. I know <laughs> Anakin obviously did, and Kylo obviously did, Luke almost did in episode six when he was beating the crap out of Vader doing this. Yeah. And Mace dude, same thing, when he tried to murder the Chancellor. I know, you know, it was for the greater good, all that. And Grogu, we saw him when he was... Uh, when he was being held hostage, throwing people around the room. So my my team is a little, uh,
0: little, a little, a little, a little volatile. Little volatile.
1: Yeah, yeah. I us yeah, say it's, I think P has the most like Sky Guys friendly cast here because he's got pretty much like everybody from Clone Wars, Rebels, or Mando, aside from R two. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> you know, look, you never know when you need R2 to open up a door. That's why like, I... Fly your ship. So R2's, like, got to be there.
1: That's why I picked him, and I invited pilots. I picked Boba Fett to be my pilot.
0: Cheap, cheap, a dollar. I'll take him. I'll take him for a dollar. Yeah, Boba Fett
1: and R2 at a dollar are fantastic values in that chart.
0: I just couldn't pass up Grogu. He's
2: only a dollar. I thought he'd be a $5 selection.
1: Yeah. Also, also, I want to say, how does Chewie not make the chart?
2: What, let me ask you this. What skill does Chewie have these people don't have
1: well i mean he can also you can pilot the ship he's got the crossbow so you got that going on well
2: I, I, to be honest if we, if we just pick Rey, pilot a ship. if we pick ray she can pilot she can be a jedi she can be the most interesting character she's a skywalker i mean it's everything we all should have just we should have done all we should have just did three rays
0: yeah well i i took luke in about the self-proclaimed skywalker <laughs> yeah yeah she's not really a skywalker yeah if you can't tell with my tone of
2: voice, I'm very sarcastic about my opinion. Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my squad, my approach was I had a Jedi, a Jedi in training, shooters, and a droid. So I think I'm good shape there.
2: And to be clear, although I don't like Ray, I do like Finn and Kylo Ren. Yeah, I do like them. Yeah, I think I, w- I wish they were written different, and we'll talk about the movies. But I do like those characters. I thought they were they were fun.
1: Absolutely, and that's a right. We're going to wrap up season four coverage. And Nick, season five next You said it's the best season of the show in your opinion. Do you know why it was only twenty episodes, not twenty two?
2: I'm not positive, but I think I know why. Don't quote me on this; I could be wrong. This is just my kind of like a guess, but it makes sense. So when five came out originally on Cartoon Network, it was the last one on Cartoon Network. I think this was the end of the show. And especially with the way it ends, I think this is supposed to be the end of The Clone Wars. And then it got picked up by Netflix a few years later for Season 6. And then Disney Plus many years later, which was last year, for Season 7. So my belief is this is supposed to be the end.
1: Yeah, because one of...
2: And and sometimes, you know, how it's like ending seasons are a little bit shorter. Like, it happens all the time.
1: Yeah, so basically, this is the first of three series finales for Clone Wars.
2: Yeah, so so, so 6 was never meant to be. So let me just explain. 5 was supposed to be, I think, the end then when season six came for Netflix renewed, it was just called the Lost Episodes kind of thing.
1: Yeah, the Lost Missions, think they call it.
2: It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't supposed to be like an ending. And everyone knew season seven existed. They were made already, and they were out there on the internet just not properly animated. And you could have, not all of them, but half of them. And you could have watched them, and they're the same dialogue pretty much and everything. And then they put it together, they polished it up, and they made a legit ending to the show with the final arc.
1: Yeah, it certainly runs. At least anything to see what happens in Season 5. And we'll get a lot of interesting stuff coming up here. I want to thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate it. Pete, P- how can people follow you on social media? some of the stuff you're up to? Uh,
0: at PJConsidori29 on Twitter. Did a lot of stuff about the Rangers recently. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: Check our podcast and, yeah. out last week about that. Yeah. And Nick, how about you?
2: Not ready to disclose just yet, but I'm very <laughs> excited for the Giants season. I know you had already... Had some discussions on the draft. I love the Giants' draft. I'm really pumped. And something we haven't talked about, really, me and you, especially Mike, because I've been on here numerous times talking football and stuff. I've never talked baseball. I'm loving the Yankees this year. They had a slow start, but they're looking great now, and I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna turn some heads. I don't know if we can beat the Dodgers, but we gotta get there first.
1: Yeah, and again, he'll follow you on social media. if You leave your hand if you leave your uh, handles in the in the YouTube chat. That's right. All right, guys. Thanks again. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Mike. Yeah, always a pleasure.
1: All right, that will do for this week's show. A very big show, so a lot of time for you to digest it. I want to thank my guest Nick Frey at a for hopping on. Talk about the schedule, about the hockey, about the Clone Wars, all that good stuff. If you want to have good stuff like this podcast, including my instant reaction to the firing of John Davidson and Jeff Corton last week, and feels like a lot has happened in Ranger Land about a, span of about a week, so to break that all down, just and the Check that out there. You'll subscribe his podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering or favorite podcast platform. you might find all our episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and starring as well. And help make the podcast even better going forward. also check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. I mentioned at the top of the show. The Sky Guys season four recap's already up there. The chats with Nick about the schedule, P about the hockey will be up in just a bit as well. Check those out there. Also, follow me on Twitter at MPhillips331. That's MPHILIPS331. And that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to dive into the PGA Championship, take a little brief for the NBA Playoffs, talk about that and more. Until the hell, you have a better week than the Rangers fans.